This week, we've got politics, religion, nuclear explosions, and that's just the first. Stop! Who are you? Noah! It is me! You! From the future! Wait. What? Me? Yeah! From the future? Yeah! Why do I have a shitty German accent? That's not important! What's important is why I've come back! I've come back to stop you from doing this podcast! Um, why? You see, the fate of the world is at stake. If you do this podcast, you will develop a massive, gargantuan erection. I mean, I know I've already got the makings of one right now. Shut up! Your erection will grow so huge, so thick, so girthy, that it will actually alter the rotation of the Earth by 0.00006%. This will cause widespread destruction, mass devastation, and bring the human race to the extinction. So I've come back to plead with you to stop you. Don't record this podcast. I mean, that's... That's a lot to take in, future, future me. I mean, on one hand, it's the human race... Everything we know, everything we love, everything we've we've ever known and ever loved. And on the other hand, it's this incredibly kick-ass album from 2006 that I absolutely want to talk about. No, I love to talk about it. You have to do what's right. I know. I'm sorry. When, when faced with the fate of the human race, I guess there's, there's really only one logical true decision to make it's muse black holes and revelations this week on We good? We good. We yeah. good. He left. <laughs> uh, good afternoon, gents. Uh, welcome to another episode of Nothing Good. I'm joined by Mr. Brown Mac Jafar himself and Doc Herb Jones. We're here to talk about a very special album. We are. Black Holes and Revelations. It's exciting. Are you guys times. ready? Oh, we're, all, ready. we're always ready. I, I mean, <laughs> seriously, I'm fucking born ready for this. So Noah I'm, from the future is not ready. No, apparently, apparently not. not. No. No. Um, I, I am. I am more ready than I think I've ever been. Uh, for our for our wonderful listeners here, uh, we do live in the Northeast, and uh, mm-hmm. being we're recording, uh, all of us live in uh, Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, I've got my window open because I'm I'm uh, watching Snowmageddon light. As it starts to uh, drop itself all over our uh, our area here, uh, yeah. they're forecasting about a foot of snow uh, going into tomorrow. Uh, so the snow has just started falling. So uh, I did the traditional Pittsburgh thing to do, everybody. I did go to the grocery store yesterday. Uh, 
Mm-hmm. I got my bread. Stock up I got my bread. bread and my eggs. Toilet paper. My eggs. You got to get milk. the toilet paper. Smart. Yep. Yeah. You don't. You don't want to be caught needing toilet paper, everybody. If you don't got a bidet, you got oh. to get out the way. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> so. especially because you know the snow will be cleared by Tuesday. So right. Got to stock up now. But, but it always makes me wonder what what in the city of Pittsburgh is everybody because you just look at the ingredients. It's milk, it's bread, it's eggs. Somebody's like, oh, if we're going to get slowed in. We need a shit ton of French toast. And then, <laughs> and then I need to fucking shit it all out and have enough to apply. I did to not get I did not get cinnamon. I did not get vanilla, so I can't actually make the French toast. I'm it's fucked. So not the way you should. That's so mm-hmm. sad. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry about that. I didn't think about it. Although I will say, and I'm going to throw this out here to the great Doc Jones, everybody. Uh, in my household, it was by special request that the dinner tonight to get us through the snowstorm of 2022 is Sloppy Jones. Sloppy Jones. Well, goddamn it! <laughs> we just, Listen, we just I had... was just telling a coworker about Sloppy Jones uh, yesterday. Two, no, two days ago. And I gave her the ingredients, told her exactly what the recipe was. I said, you'd listen, make it for your kids. You'll love it. She didn't do it. I'm disappointed. Jamie, you know what you did. Oh, oh, no. Shots fired. <laughs> <laughs> we, um, yes. yes, I'm glad you. I'm glad that's on the on the on the the dinner dinner menu. That's excellent. well, I I, I in our uh, I typically do grocery shopping for my mom as uh, as she was not able to get out to the grocery store, so I was picking up some things for her. And in the midst of doing that, I forgot to get the cream cheese. Oh shit! Which of course we know is. Is one of the keys to sloppy part of the Jones. secret sauce. Yeah. It's part mm-hmm. of the secret sauce. So I did have to uh, run back out this morning before uh, everything started coming down and make sure that I grabbed that. But the Death Star is fully operational and I'm ready to fucking roll. I'm excited for you. I'm all jealous. Beautiful. Yes, as as Mac did mention here in the Northeast, uh, Mother Nature is about ready to blast us with a hefty snow load, and so we're all buckled down and we're ready to talk about uh, this. I mean, I think it's an incredible record from 2006, but uh, we have a lot to talk about today. But before we do, before we do, before I even ask how the fuck you guys are doing, I'm going to ask, what the fuck are you guys drinking? And I want Mac to start us off here because I saw because I'm good. I don't want to be the guy to do this. But for weeks, Mac has been recuperating from uh, the coronavirus. From his feeling. And now I saw a brown bottle in his hand earlier. He's back, folks. Mac, what you got? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, we got a Victory Brewery. We are drinking some Victory Merry Monkey, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen. Uh, as, uh, as most Pittsburghers should, uh, the first thing we did when we were getting ourselves ready for our snowed in for the next two days was fuck the bread toilet paper, eggs, and milk. We went right to the fucking bottle shop and we loaded up. Mm-hmm. So um, one of the things I always like to do around the holidays, and unfortunately because of getting sick, I didn't have a chance to really do that, is I like to go get a couple of six packs of different holiday beers, mm-hmm. right? To be able to kind of drink over the holidays. So when I did go out to the store, they did have some stuff hanging around. So one of the first ones I grabbed was Merry Monkey. This is brand new for me. It's my first time having it. Uh, as with most great victory beers, the uh, alcohol volume is 10%. Ooh, so, good. again, not worried about driving anywhere. <laughs> <laughs> so, so in pretty good shape there. But uh, it is uh, it's quite good. I'm enjoying it. Good, good. Jones, what are you drinking today? 
Uh, I'm drinking an espresso. Not nice. alcoholic. Uh, Fancy. Just I want to be fired up for this episode and be kind of focused up. Uh, so I, I, I've had a very long week, very long weekend. I'm, I'm pretty much every day of the week I work was like a nine-hour day. I worked yesterday. Uh, I have today off. I had a million things to do, so I'm exhausted. So as opposed to drinking booze and falling asleep midstream, it's coffee and caffeine. I'm ready to go. I also want to compliment you on saying espresso and not espresso. Well, because I'm not a fucking idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Legendary. All right. I, I, I take offense to that. You shouldn't, because you're not a fucking idiot either. <laughs> <laughs> Jafar, what are you rocking today? I am drinking, uh, it's called Star Crumb Cherry Pie Tart Shake. Oh. It's a uh, milkshake it's not IPA. Even real. You fucking made that up. No, it's real. <laughs> it's like you it's put a real. bunch of fucking words into a generator, and that's what came yeah. out. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. It's, uh, it's made from <laughs> Cinderlands. Uh, Cinderlands is a local Pittsburgh brewery here. Uh, if you'd like to know what's in it, it's basically a, a cherry pie flavored milkshake IPA. The ingredients mm. are oh, shit. Uh, IPA brewed with sweet cherry puree, tart cherry puree, baking spices, graham crackers, Madagascar vanilla, and milk sugar, and beer. Well, oh. so it's, uh, it's, it's like dessert in a glass. It's, 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 it's Madagascar. It's Madagascar vanilla, so you know it's good. You mm-hmm. know it's good. Yeah. Oh, that's uh, uh, I, I didn't think this any could get any thicker of an erection. <laughs> from uh, from talking about our uh, our topic today, but I do enjoy beer. I enjoy milkshake IPAs, but I love everything that's ever been cherry flavored ever. So that mm. Mm, I'm a, if I'll you don't save, think I'm gonna go track I'll save it you down, one. yeah, beautiful. They had mm. a giant eagle. I bought it there yesterday. You know what? You know what's interesting, Noah. In my life, I have kind of grown away from the cherry flavoring, like outside of maybe getting an icy, right? Yeah. I, I pretty much try to stay away from, from the cherry flavor. I, I think I, growing up, I just kind of associate it so much with like cough medicine and like that. cough drops and mm. stuff. Like that's mostly when I would have cherry anything. So except for cherry Coke, you know, then just fucking cherry pour Coke. that all over my body. Yeah. Um, but <laughs> I mean, I will. Don't tempt me with a good time. Next time you got to stay in my basement for four weeks, it's fucking on. I'm bringing a kiddie pool. That's all I'm Mm-mm. saying. Mm-mm. No, I, I understand that and I respect that. Um, I think it's be, being children of the 80s and 90s as we are, the entry level for anything being flavored, anything was cherry at that time. Cherry lollipops, cherry bliss, cherry that, right? Uh, and as we got older as adults and other kids, you know, I guess it still is, but you know, like they in the 90s, blue raspberry became a thing and you see all this other shit. But I feel like uh, we have still peaked and people are still finding a way to make delicious things even more cherry uh, oriented. So I am. Um, I'll always try. Someone's like, "Here, you want to try this uh, bratwurst?" And I'm like, "That's kind of a weird thing, maybe." And they're like, "It's cherry flavored." I'm like, "Fucking put it in my mouth." <laughs> Let's try it. And I'll, I can. I reserve the right to not like it, but I'm gonna try it anyway. Uh, I'll round it out. I'm doing something different today. Not drinking coffee like Jones, and I'm. I'm actually not having beer or coffee with tequila as I did a few weeks ago. Because we're talking about black holes and revelation, and uh, uh, I decided to be a fancy bitch, and I'm having wine. Oh, uh, but uh, no, I like- but I have to admit something to the listeners that I know a couple of you probably know here. But um, so I like hefty, thick, dark, you know, earthy beers and things that are not no sweetness in my beer if I can help it at all, except that cherry beer. It sounds fucking incredible. And I yes. like uh, if a, a straight alcohol, and if I cut it with anything, something that's as 
unsweet as I can make it, like a plain soda or ginger ale. But when it comes to wine, I like to be a completely sweet-ass bitch. And I like the sweetest, fruitiest wine that I can get my hands on. So I got uh, some fucking strawberry fruscato. So not only from Barefoot, oh. so not only is it super sweet, <laughs> it's fucking like $6. So <laughs> we're just going to, uh, and I'm drinking it out of my Catalina wine mixer wine glass so well, you should go ahead and and, uh, and do that and you got to put your pinky out when you drink that oh, oh yeah absolutely. oh yeah sure. mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. there you go i'm not Slip guys slurp. i've i've not now nor have i really been a wine drinker no um, really, I, I i had a i had a a stretch in my life for about 14 months where i had to drink wine all the time but mm -hmm. Before that and since that stretch of time, I have yeah. not really been a been a wine drinker. Occasionally, we'll we'll grab a bottle and just kind of have it for special occasions and things like that. But it's never really been a. Uh, it's not usually mm -hmm. a staple at the uh, at the estate. You know, we. Uh, I, <laughs> my uh, my my drinking palate always kind of was very simple. Uh, I like to kind of drink my Yingling and my Labatt Blues and things like that. But you know, then Jeff and, uh, and and Mikey V got involved in all the different types of beer, and then I got judged really fucking hard <laughs> if I ever ordered a Yingling or a Labatt in my life. As you should, though. So, uh, so I was forced to download the Untapped app. Well, uh, yeah, we went, we whipped you into shape pretty pretty yep. quick. Uh, I'll throw a little uh, shout out to the Untapped app. It's one of my mm -hmm. favorite apps that I use, and uh, had to had to start uh, just expanding my horizon with beers. So. Yeah, I've never been a big wine drinker, mainly because I don't like super dry types of wine. Mm -hmm. And I can't tell the difference between a six bo six dollar bottle and a three hundred dollar bottle. Like me it too. tastes the same to me. It's wonderful. So, yeah. So I, I drink the sweeter, cheap stuff just like Noah. So I don't judge. No, so I, appreciate that. That. I judge for other things, but not for that. Oh yeah, yeah. Bourbon, you can taste the difference between a sweet barrel aged yeah, a Kentucky whiskey in a bottle of Ten High that tastes like somebody Ugh. like burped in your mouth, right? And with beer, no, you know when you're having a nice micro brew that's like an eight percent and it's been bottled with age versus fucking Lion's Head that's been in someone's trunk for two weeks in the summer, right? You fucking can tell. That, I'm not knocking Lion's Head though. Lion's Head's good for the price. Lion, yeah. Lion's Head is the best cheap beer there is. Yes, <laughs> I. Well, you I can tell the difference. I want you to know that it has popped into my mind, and it will happen. That for an episode of this podcast, I'm going to have fucking Lionhead on hand. Oh my god, yes! And and we will all work to figure out the puzzle on the bottom. Of the <laughs> but me personally, I and and I now can say Jeff, I that if someone's like, here's two wines, one is five dollars a bottle, and one is five hundred dollars a bottle. That unless that five hundred dollar bottle one like reaches down and grabs my dick. I, there's no way I'm going to know the difference and I'm going to drink it at the same speed and put it into my body anyway. And I'm going to say, give me some of the shittiest cheese dry. You know, it's the other thing too. It's like, if someone's like, Hey, do you want some, some like cheeses that sound like you're sneezing in your hands? Like, Oh, some pot and cheese. I'm like, no, <laughs> would you give me a glass of shitty wine? And I'm like, yeah, sure. I can put it in there. So, that works. so as, as you mentioned about expensive bottles of wine, Noah, I had a, I had a period in my life when, I got checked. Okay. You know, like when just there's certain points in time where something in life happens where it just kind of checks where mm -hmm. you fall in the grand scheme of things. Mm -hmm. 
So I have a friend that I uh, that I met when I was in my early 20s who uh, was finishing law school when I was getting into law school. And, um, you know, for, th for three years, he was taking the bar and different states because of where he was going to work and what he was going to do. And ultimately, he got a job working for a company that specializes in the um, movement of very rare bottles of wine. All right. So this company, um, if your parents had a 1965 red wine um, when uh, they got married and it's their 40th anniversary and you wanted to get them that same wine, you go to this company, they'll go all over the world, they find this bottle and they're going to get it for you. And of obviously, the clientele for this type of thing is not cheap. Mm -mm. So um, the moment when I had that check was as he was telling me about how he was going to the corporate office in the Hamptons because <laughs> that's oh. where he had to go to work. And I just remember thinking to myself, yeah, that's a, that's a stratosphere that I, that I do not know of. Nope. Yeah. We are uh, we are plebeians here on Nothing Good and <laughs> are fine just being the bottom-dwelling yeah. uh, espresso. Uh, we may drink $6 wine. We might drink local Pittsburgh microbrews, but we aren't the kind of fucking heathens to put an X in espresso. So Fucking idiots. We got standards. <laughs> oh, but speaking of standards, today's topic is the 2006 record, Black Holes and Revelations from Muse. And, um, I mean, I don't, you know, I, I, we only really have one other record, you know, review under our belts and it was hybrid theory, which is interesting because, uh, Mac, you weren't on that episode, but it was interesting to be, as I'm not a super big Lincoln Park fan to be in the room with Jafar and doc who are right. And, and to hear, hear them talk about that record. And, 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 you know, that's one of those things is, as I've been listening to the podcast and, and especially that episode, which you guys did a phenomenal job on that episode, by the way. Thanks. Um, I am uh, one of the other, you know, big Linkin Park fans amongst our, our group of friends. And, you know, that album, without getting too far off, uh, off kilter here for what we're talking about today, um, I have a lot of strong feelings about that album. You know, there, there are a couple of songs on that album that I tie to different life events that I've had that, you know, make it very difficult for me to even listen and enjoy those songs today just because of the strong memories and things that I have. Um, but being such a huge Linkin Park fan and everything, that, that was, uh, I, I would have loved to have been able to kind of toss my two cents in there but such a such a solid album such a transformative album um and i'm i'm looking forward to this one too because man you know there are there are few bands in this world that impress me as much as muse does and mm -hmm. it comes from their musicality uh but it comes from seeing them live i've i've been very fortunate to see them live several times and man, do they fucking put on a show. Mm -hmm. They put on a show that I feel like if we were going to concerts in the 80s and we were, you know, there to kind of see Guns N' Roses in their fucking heyday or Metallica in their heyday, just these bands that you know when they fucking played at their height that you were privileged to see it, 
that's how I see Muse today because like I thought when I went and saw them play, right? Because Muse is as we'll get into here, everybody. It's three people. Yeah. Okay. Um, and I thought when I was gonna go see them perform that it was gonna be a stage with fifteen to twenty different musical pieces behind them to be able to reinvent the sound that you hear when you listen to their albums. And it's fucking four guys. Mm-hmm. It's the three members they of the band. They add a keyboard player. And they yeah. add a keyboard player. Exactly. <laughs> and I just, it fucking blew my mind that the sound can come from those, those gentlemen the way that they do. They're, they're so fucking good. And I love this album. Well, yeah. I, I mentioned Hybrid Theory because we, uh, the, being is that that's our only album review that we've done yet, I feel like it's only kind of fitting that we follow the blueprint we accidentally laid out in that episode just kind of keep us as on track as the four of us could possibly fucking be about anything i mean we're already into this episode we've only said muse like five times we already went off into a hamptons and wines and sweet ass bitches (laughs) and cough syrup we're fucking going all right so let's uh let's start and i want to get everyone's opinion on the band and i'm sure that will get unpacked as this episode unravels but uh which I also I'm going to give a slight inside baseball uh, here. The questions that we asked were actually thought of and submitted to us today by Jafar, who took the initiative <laughs> to say, "Listen, motherfuckers, let's try to keep this thing on some sort of fucking rails." And I was just trying to play back in my head, like what was the format that we kind of used yeah. for the LP episode, and try to replicate that as as close as we can without going too far off the rails and as we which, typically which we do. do. Yeah. And, and, and gentlemen, as you know, as you mentioned the blueprint, can we have a blueprint for these types of, of episodes, except when we cover Jay-Z's the blueprint, can we? That'd be amazing, <laughs> right? We, we do the album in like in reverse, but out of order, we do a random generator and just listen to com- it. Just completely fucking wreck the format Ooh, for that episode. We should, we should all four listen to the album on shuffle. No, one of us listens to it straight through, and the other three listen to it on shuffle and then review it accordingly. Something. I don't know. We'll figure it out. Maybe we'll just never do the blueprint. Oh, my God. We'll review it, and no one listens to it. <laughs> like, yeah, that one song, though. That one song was fucking fly, though. Yeah. Oh, yeah. When it goes, yeah, when it does that oh, yeah. thing. Yeah. 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 So, let's... But, I'm sorry. Jafar? I was going to say, so, speaking of the, the blueprint of the sort of the format, we're going to start with the question of... How did everyone get introduced to Muse? Before we dive a deep dive into this particular album, what was everybody's first experience with the band? No, I'll kick it off to you. Oh, me. Okay. I feel like it's fitting it starts with you. Yeah. It starts with me. Well, well, then I guess it's fitting to say that, uh, and just full disclosure, uh, we're going back to the beginning, but as I sit here now in 2022, um, over 20 years later, Muse is one of my all-time favorite bands, like top two, top three ever. Uh, and I've been uh, enjoyed more or less most of the stuff they've ever put out and certain things, this album being one of them, a lot, like fucking a lot, right? But uh, how I first heard of them actually was accidentally. I uh, bought the soundtrack to the 2000 film, Little Nicky. Uh, and yeah, because I was just getting, I mean, and again, this is 2000. So get ready for this phrase. I was just getting into new metal in a more, uh, expanded horizon. And I went to buy the Deftones record, but the Deftones record was, was sold out because that fucking record was incredible. Right. Uh, so 
I remember it being at Sam Goody and I wanted change in the house of flies. And there it was on the soundtrack to little Nikki. So I bought that. And on that soundtrack, way down into that soundtrack, I don't even know if the song fucking appears in the movie at all. It probably doesn't. Is Cave by Muse, which is actually a song that they wrote based off of uh, a, a, a short excerpt of the book Fight Club, which is interesting, right? So I heard that and I'm like, this is fucking weird because it's got like a theremin in it and it builds up. And, I, and although listening to that record, that's the song. That I listened to about the most, besides some of the other hits at that time, um, and so that was there, and I liked Muse, but I didn't really follow up with them until um, I can remember the first time I heard it. I was on my way to work at Toys R Us in 2003, uh, and I heard "Time Is Running Out" on the radio uh, off of, and I immediately I listened to it. I came and I talked to either one of the two of you or Mike Viola about that song I just heard. And then after work, I went across the street to Best Buy and I bought Absolution by Muse that day. And I listened. And since then, uh, here we are. Fucking here we are. Right. Remember when you could just fucking walk into a store <laughs> like I, I have a as, as a lot of this podcast falls on nostalgia. Right. I have yeah. this nostalgia of walking into Best Buy and seeing a third of that whole fucking floor of that store being racks of CDs, CDs and movies, and DVDs man. That's what and it movies was. Yeah. And video games and just none of all, that now. Yeah. And none of that shit's there. I mean, the video games barely hanging on movies, barely hanging on. Yep. Um, and just, you know, I just loved walking in there and just seeing what and exploring, you know, just what, what mm -hmm. didn't I even quite know about, you know, with Muse as as you mentioned that they're, you you caught them in two thousand the little Nikki soundtrack. Um, I caught them in two thousand three with uh, Stockholm Syndrome. That was the very first song of theirs. And I'm sorry to take it <laughs> over, guys. But I'm just going to transition it here. No, it's yeah, good. Perfect. I'm just I just want to say I'm glad that it was the little Nikki soundtrack and not the Twilight soundtrack, which Muse was also on. Oh yeah, they've been on every one of those movies. Oh, <laughs> I I have I have thoughts and feelings about that as we'll get to when we talk about we'll that song. <laughs> Um, but so, you know, I was, uh, this is when I started playing the guitar and, you know, for anybody that can never see any of the visuals of this, my, my guitars in the corner right there. Uh, and I got an electric guitar over here. Um, and I was just listening to the X and this fucking song came on that I never heard before that I've never heard anything quite like it before. And the guitar was so fucking heavy on so Stockholm heavy. Syndrome. Mm -hmm. And it fucking, it, it launches and slaps you in the face with its dick immediately. Runs right and, up to you. Yeah. And and just pulls it out, chucks it up at your face. You get uppercutted like fucking Mike Tyson's punch out. And, you know, you're laying there on the ground thinking, what the hell just hit you? And that's how I felt about that. And I'm like, I have to learn how to play this. And then I tried. I'm like, I can't fucking play this. Close. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I, I got into them really early on just from listening to them. Uh, Pittsburgh's got an alt rock radio station here called the X 1059, uh, mm -hmm. which is where I even I discovered Lincoln Park there too. You know, bouncing back to the hybrid theory uh, conversation, and um, I knew immediately when I heard that song that this is a band that I needed to get to know a lot better. And uh, I went out and I bought that album and I bought every album of theirs since then. And uh, they're, they're one of my, they're one of my 10 favorite bands easily. 
Um, and uh, yeah, so that was my my introduction to them. Okay, what about you, Jones? Um, so in, just throwing it out there that although I do enjoy uh, Muse, they're definitely not like uh, a band that I go out of my way to listen to. Although I do very much enjoy their their, their music. I'm kind of I thought I knew when the first time I heard them was, but I'm I'm not 100 percent sure. So I thought initially that the first time I'd really listened to them ever in my life that I can actively recall was through Mr. Brown here. I thought so, right? So because you told me about Knights of Sidonia, right? And how it was a religious experience. I'll never forget that conversation. And you played it for me. And I remember thinking, well, fuck, this is song's amazing, actually, right? But I don't know what year that was. So do you remember by any I, I do I do so so I was gonna save this for when we actually got to that song on the record, but uh, I don't want to burst your bubble dock, but it was not I who played Knights of Sindonia for you. Who was it? You played Knights of Sindonia for me accidentally. Whoa! So mind blown. Mind blown. So I'll tell you the story for a second, but I I'd actually like to know hear the story that I, don't I know. I, I will tell you that story a second, but here's another story because I know the first time that Doc ever heard Muse. Because he was in my car when I was driving him home one day and I fucking put Absolution on because he had the fucking hear Stockholm Syndrome and that entire fucking second half of that record. Because we listened to that in the Resident Evil Apocalypse soundtrack uh, like yeah. a lot when we were driving around in my car in that in that era. So it was fucking it, it was that's undoubtedly I had to play that for you because I really only listened to like four records for like 2003 to 2004. And that was one of them. Franz Ferdinand's debut record was one of them too, because uh, that that's an underrated record that we'll never cover. So that's the only time we'll fucking mention it. But <laughs> the Knights of Sindonia story. So the year was two thousand and six, okay, and we lived together. And in our house that we had lived together on Fallowfield, uh, where Doc's room was upstairs, across the way, slightly catty corner, was the bathroom. And a lot of times, Doc, being the coolest guy that most of us know, would be listening to music and doing any, any kind of awesome shit. But he had a big stereo in his room, right to the left of where you walked in the door. And I was taking a shower. Now, if anyone who's ever been around me or lived with me knows, I take really long showers. Uh, you know, like, and so I was in there forever. And I am coming out of the bathroom with a towel around my waist. And as I'm getting ready to come out of the bathroom, I hear something that sounds kind of cool. And I opened the door and Doc is not, he's sitting at his computer at the foot of his bed and Knights of Sindonia, which I didn't know was Knights of Sindonia at the time was playing. And it was the still with the early part, early first half of the song. And I'm standing in the doorway, a naked man with my towel around my waist. The towel slowly rising. Oh yeah. And I'm listening to it. And just as I peek my head in to hear what kind of jam is he listening to it? Breaks down with that fucking harmony. Uh, uh, and I, what I could only describe as a religious experience. Also, I finally understand, like in a cartoon, when someone smells a pie and that fucking scent becomes a finger <laughs> and pulls them in, that the fucking incredible <laughs> awesomeness of this fucking song drove me naked and wet into another man's room where I sat on the edge of his bed and fucking didn't move until that song was over. And I sat there like didn't my mind was fucking blown. 
So the first time I ever heard Knights of Sandonia was because you were accidentally playing it, and I was nude. Wet and nude. I fucking heard that song in the most vulnerable state there can be, and it fucking rocked it. It fucking reached things. I don't know what a tantric orgasm feels like, but if I had to reach for a reference, I would say I felt it in your bedroom that day, Doc. You know what? This, this, makes okay. a, this makes a lot of sense because, you know, when Doc and I lived together, which happened after you guys were roommates, Noah, um, he had very strict policies about after shower etiquette. And uh, I feel like this explains a lot. This really explains a lot. Damn it. You weren't there. You don't know. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, so I can say the first time you heard it was in my car, but that was Jones. That may not have been the first time you've heard views, but that was probably the first time you felt it. Was right there. I want to say that my my naked body might have had something to do with it. So I'm saying, Jafar. (laughs) What about you, man? That's unfortunate. That's the first time you've heard me. Yeah, so so for me, uh, despite uh, popular opinion, I'm not a huge fan of Muse. Not that they're not good at their craft. Uh, I just am not a huge fan of prog rock in general. Um, so I I think you know, like Dave mentioned on the X, they used to play you know early Muse songs, and I may have heard them, but I didn't really remember hearing them. The first time I really remember was uh, it was Knights of Sidonia, but it was playing Guitar Hero Three. Uh, and ah, if, you, you, if you play through story mode, it's the last song mm-hmm. and arguably the hardest song to play in that game. But I was like, the riffs in that, I was like, this is pretty fucking good. It's like, I'm going to go check yeah. out Muse. And it, that came out in, I think, 2007, which was a year after this album came out. Mm-hmm. So I go back to the album and I play the first song and then I shut it off and we'll get into that when we get into the tracks. But, <laughs> 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 but. My first experience was playing Guitar Hero 3 uh, and hearing Knights of Sidonia, which is a fucking rad song. It is. It is. And we'll, we'll get to it. And I think it's very fitting uh, that it is uh, the last song on that record. So it's going to be a while, folks, before we talk about it again. And, but... it's, and, and the thing about that song, too, is it's, pace, it's usually, as you mentioned, it's the last song on that album. It's the last song on Guitar Hero. It's the last song they fucking play pretty much at every concert. That's what they kind of use to close it out, uh, and and fittingly because where do you where do you go after that? How can you go anywhere after that? Except you don't yeah. Ex- except except uh, the uh, which is interesting because I was introducing as many people as I could when that fucking record came out to, just to hear that song. They hadn't heard it, and from the H A A R P uh, concert live from Wembley, they fucking opened with it. They fucking <laughs> opened with that song and they closed with "Take a Bow." Which I think was directly just because they're like, you know, fuck it, let's start with that. Right? <laughs> then you can put. Of course, they had a, they had a whole lot of back catalog to play because they were in England, so England knew the first two records in a way that the United States never has and never will. Right? Right. You're not going to hear anyone. They're not going to come to Pittsburgh and play stuff off of the Hullabaloo soundtrack, you know, or you know, you, you might get Origins of Symmetry because they just re-released the record with a remix, but you'll get like one song. But they put that whole fucking record was full of that shit, uh, that live album. But so you want to talk about it? You want to start this thing off? Let's, Let's talk, talk about it. it. Yeah, that's what we're here for. That's so what we, the listeners want. That's what that's what the singular listener, midnight listener. <laughs> oh shit! Speaking of which, guys, we've uh, we've we've broken new ground in a new country. Welcome to the podcast, Russia. Oh, oh shit! The motherland. Hello. Well, they they clearly, mother 
Russia clearly follows Killafan69 on all platforms. <laughs> so, Apparently. You know, what if it's just I, Putin? You know, Putin's guys, like, I, I love him. I love the way he plays Rust. It's so good. Makes me want to ride with Shotrop. Yes. I, I had a theory, guys, that, you know, that somewhere around the world, intelligence agencies just randomly just listen to all sorts of internet noise for references of their country. And if they do, somebody's assigned to have to fucking listen to it. So I want to test this out and just see if it kind of <laughs> go for it. By just mentioning a few countries that might not have been listening to the yeah. podcast. This Shout out to time. our future assigned listeners. <laughs> exactly. Just to see if we can kind of pull it up on a few people and like, aha. <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and say what's going up, Chile. Chile. Uh, okay. New Zealand. Welcome. Mm, I'm waiting for uh, Serbia. Um, hello. Uh, I'm going to throw one out there to Andorra. And uh, I'm also going to toss one out there to uh, to uh, Chad. You know, let's go ahead and let's go ahead and expand this around a little bit and see if see if we end up getting it. <laughs> I, I, first of all, I would I think Chad should be a total Chad and listen to this podcast. But I'm going to take one better because um, I'm not going to divulge my total Internet uh, activities to anyone. But there's a chance that I may or may not follow the official North Korean subreddit just to troll the North Korean government that bans people from doing it. It's my small, my small thing. I'm, I, I, I'm like two years into this campaign. So I'm going to say <laughs> North Korea, welcome with glorious leader. Because they look for words like that. Glorious leader, welcome to you as well. But I'm going to be bold. Because uh, last two episodes ago, I took a real hard stance on vaccinations and, and COVID people. And uh, I, I, if anyone ever makes it to the end of that episode, they might feel alienated. But if you are, fuck you. Don't listen to my show. But I'm also <laughs> going to say right now that I would like to give a glorious future hello to the People's Republic of China. Oof. Hello, People's Republic of China. Just not Hong Kong because they're really restricting the hell out And of I'd it. also like to officially, here and now, recognize Taiwan as an independent nation. So hello to the independent nation of Taiwan. And I'm going to say hello, Taiwan, from the People's Republic of China. They, I know you guys don't want to talk, but I'm here to help make this stick together. So while we're here, the People's Republic of China, the People's Republic of China, the People's Republic of China. <laughs> anyway, the first song well, on the record got that Take a Bow. <laughs> so Take a Bow starts off. Next next, next week, we're going to look at the numbers, and this episode's going to have 1.2 billion streams. <laughs> be amazing. <laughs> oh, man. Eat your heart out, Joe oh. Rogan. Man. Fuck him. Uh, right, oh, no. oh, yes. We'll cover that next. I feel like didn't, didn't we we've already taken on Joe Rogan and the Ninja Turtles episode, right? By insinuating that Casey Jones, by living in his van, is the exact demographic. You'll get to that, Mac. You haven't listened to that episode yet. But Casey Jones yet, in no. his van is oh, the perfect demographic <laughs> for Joe Rogan. That's that's his ideal demographic, is fucking uh, Casey Jones in a van making making completely homophobic remarks. That's That's his style. But what may not be his style is the first song on a record. And apparently, I don't think it's Jeff's style. Take a bow. It's, it's not my cup of tea, if you'd say. So as I'm listening to this album, do you guys ever see uh, 
a little movie called Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Mm. Yes. Mm. Well, yes. Bill and Ted go with Rufus to meet the future council <laughs> who show them what music sounds like in the future. So if you imagine that the future council had an orgy with the Trans-Siberia Orchestra and collectively they made a baby, but not a cute baby. Cause like, despite what you read on the internet, like there are such things as ugly babies. Oh, there so, are. Say oh, they, they exist. so say they had an ugly baby that's colicky and it cries a lot. They would name it Muse, specifically Matt Bellamy. <laughs> and that, that was what that I got was, out of the first song. Uh, that was a snap jab if I ever saw one. And gets better from you there. You wrote me in. You wrote me in with that one. Oh. <laughs> We're going to so, get our first bit of hate mail from somebody in the UK. <laughs> oh, yeah, so in my notes, I just wrote trash. That's all. Oh, mm. you don't like take a bow. I'm not not oh a fan. God. I mean, I get I get what they were going for, and I I get the style, but I don't know. I didn't I didn't like it. Like I said, when I listened to it the first time, and and if you look at it collectively as an album, like if you're like, hey, have you ever heard of this band Muse? Here, listen to this album. Half the people are going to be like, what the fuck is this? After the first song, if they make it through the first song, yeah. and if it wasn't for knowing what came after, in terms of a n- number of songs that come after this. Yeah. Most people wouldn't listen all the way through. I, I wouldn't, but I forced myself through it. You know, it's, it's Thank funny you say that, that Jeff, because you know, a lot of Muse albums actually have that track that you described at the beginning, you know, the, a, a lot of them. And, and, and this is kind of the, the note that I took with it is that the, it, the, the first track off of any Muse album isn't exactly like a, a song to me. It's kind of like it's a an welcome, intro. Yeah. Welcome it's a to your, in a way. Yeah. Welcome. Well, it's, it's the fucking, you know, opening credits, right? Uh, welcome to what you're about to experience. We're going to fucking, we're going to loop you up a little bit. We're going to go ahead and get you warmed up and we're about to fucking bend you over the Ottoman and just go to town on your earlobes in a way that you're not expecting <laughs> it. Um, you know, and, <laughs> And take a bow, just it, it to me, it's so formulaic muse because of just, you know, my experience with their song catalog and everything. Um, you know, uh, Thought Contagion is another one like that on uh, on simulation theory that mm-hmm. that kind of goes in that way. Um, and and uh, yeah, I, 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 I love how it just it's it, they're all very unique sounding and, and not even necessarily that they're going to fit the rest of the album, but it's just kind of like. It's just kind of lubing you up for that that Bill and Ted orgy, with a lot of big strumming guitars, you know. So for sure, for sure, uh, I, I'll jump in here next. So yeah, so I mean, I think it is in a lot of ways the opening track, especially from Absolution or maybe even uh, Hullabaloo soundtrack. They they do gatekeep of their first song. It's not a rock album anymore. It's and they're, they're, they get as the albums have come along from Muse, they get more and more concepty, right? So it's almost like you have to pass the test on the first song or two uh, to be able to qualify. Because if the first song excites you, then you're definitely in for the second half. But if you if you're not into it, then you're going to be trepidatious about the rest of the record if you make it through. And I understand that completely because Take About is. It is a fucking statement in a lot of ways, right? Like here it is, is just Bellamy and uh, an arpeggiator. 
for the first part of his song uh, fucking yelling at someone, right? But whisper yelling at them, like he's a mad spouse at them. And then he tells them that they're going to go to hell. Um, but I think this song is important in the lexicon of Muse for one very particular reason. Because up until this point, anytime Muse was electronic or synthesizer-y, it's an accessory to what is already an alternative or alt-prog rock song. They come from that lean and mean London alt scene, right? So it's it's that weird, his weird uh, operatic falsetto voice and guitars, and then they add some piano or some weird keys over top of this. But this fucking song starts off with Muse in a way that they have literally never come back from, which is instead of it being a little keyboard sprinkled onto a fucking rock band, it's a fucking rock band built around a fucking keyboard. And that's it starts with Take a Bow with that fucking arpeggiator and, and it builds and it builds and it builds and it ends with a fucking explosion, right? So so if they're, they're making a statement, but it literally clears and it starts you down here and it builds you up and then it wipes the slate clean by the time it gets to the next song. So it's like, are you paying attention? Because if you weren't paying attention, when that fucking hits the big explosion at the end, you were paying attention there, which made it, if you listen to the noise for 20 seconds afterward and made it all the way through to Starlight, then you you felt it. But I think um, I'm going to make a controversial call on this, <laughs> is that though it is a staple Muse song, and I don't think, spoiler alert, that there's a bad song in this entire record. It Take a Bow is the hardest, it is the least accessible song on this entire record for just that reason. Because it's preachy and it's driving and it's big and it's a weird set piece. So that's my that's my take. Doc. Mm. That's a whole lot. I feel like I'm going to be a little out of my depth with all of this because I don't dislike this album. Uh, I don't love the group as the two of you guys do. Uh, I'm very in the middle with the music. So I uh, never heard this album before. And I remember uh, when I told you that I hadn't known you kind of were like, what? How could you not have this crazy? I'm just, I like, uh, you know, was it the, 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 the second law? Is it the second law? Or second the, law. Yep. Yep. That That's two my albums favorite have. news album. I think the album's excellent. Um, second law but, is extraordinarily excellent. Yeah, it's an extraordinary album. Uh, but anyhow, so like, I do like the news. I like their music. I like their stuff. So I was really excited to listen to this album. Uh, so I listened to it twice. Once, just after a long day of work, I just kind of sat on the couch, vibed out to it. No, no preconceived notions, just going to listen to the music and see how it felt. And then I listened to it again, not that long ago, um, having digested it, well-rested, kind of interested in the music more. Okay, with that being said, so <laughs> I, I've only heard three songs off of this album over the years, I realized. The other eight, never heard them before, which was really cool. Um, take a bow. I wrote down as the first time I listened to it, I don't know why, but the melody of it, it felt like in my, I'm visualizing a giant city-sized arcade. That's like what I felt when I was listening to it. But then the lyrics kick in and that shit is so threatening and so aggressive <laughs> and so not city-sized arcade. <laughs> but I dug it. It's a good track. I don't, um, it's definitely one of my favorite ones on the entire album. I really, really enjoyed it. Um, it just has like the thing about music that I really dig, and we'll get into it more. Obviously, is like what makes them great to me 
as a consumer is how they layer their music, how complex it is. And the muse to me isn't the muse if it's not building to something. Every song, ha- it's building to a moment that, you know, two minutes and 32 seconds when it just fucking, wh- wherever they were going with it for the last two minutes and 32, 31 seconds is leading to this point. It may only last another 60 seconds or 42 seconds, but it's leading to this. And this, uh, this song had that moment. So it was a cool intro. They're really good at their intros, uh, thankfully. You know, I'm, I'm glad that you said that, Jones, because I think that is something that's kind of important to kind of keep in mind about just their, their songwriting, you know, the what they're trying to go for when they when they write music. You know, this album uh, was very influenced as as almost like a sci-fi album, you know, as they were kind to, to, to produce it. And, you know, I, I do like how the the songs do their musicality tells a story throughout the course of a song beyond just what you get in the lyrics. And um, yeah, I, I, I like that you mentioned that because I think that's a big thing to remember anytime you listen to a Muse song is that, you know, the lyrics are going to take you someplace, but the music's going to take you someplace too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's, it's impressive that they're able to accomplish that with three guys in the band. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I wrote down is because, you know, they're, the themes of the songs, you know, vocally and, and lyrically is they talk about politics and apocalypse and conspiracies and aliens and all kinds of random shit. But it's 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 deeper lyrics. But when you listen to the actual, you know, the tonality of the songs, it has like a very almost like an 80s video game vibe, like an indie video game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. And if you were to strip out the lyrics across the board, I think you could put the music track of any of these tracks on this album into a number of games that we've played, you know, over the past 20 years. Um, and it's, it's impressive point. that it's impressive yeah. that they're able to accomplish that with and build on a, on a song and, and get you to feel and to like be amped about, you know, what's to come next. I think that that's important. You can't take that away, even though I don't like it. <laughs> remember that note, Jeff. Because remember, I respect it. I respect it. Re- remember that note because we get to map of the uh, pro- uh, problematic problematic uh, track four of the album. Um, I-, I have a very specific thought about what you just said. Yeah, that that's like that's that. like a racing video game track. Oh, if I ever heard one. Yeah, I'm I'm gonna save my my comments for that at that point. But yeah. Yeah, I think um, I think a, a defining feature of Muse and Matt Bellamy in general with his style is that it's um, his voice can and his composition can be if you stripped it down, it would sound operatic, right? Yeah, Very sure. opera with his with his crescendos, but with all of the music and it becomes almost cinematic, like it leads it leads itself to a visualization that you have on your own to it. <laughs> And um, I think that's, that's a defining, like it or not, that's a defining style of the band. I want to also say, full disclosure here, that I realized this when I was listening to this album back for our review, that I wasn't joking when I said that I at least listened to part of this record once every couple of weeks. Or, uh, and then I can say with complete seriousness that I have listened to this record in its entirety more than any other record I've ever listened to in my entire life. Um, and if it's not my favorite album, it is in the top because it's one of those ones that I have list start to finish. And it's one of the few records and we all have one of these that I don't skip a song 
when it comes on. And if something comes on in a mix I have of Muse or an alt or a mid-2000s mix that I put together, I don't, if it comes on and it's a song from this record, I don't fucking skip it. There are songs I skip on Hollow Blue soundtrack and there are songs I skip on Second Law and The Resistance, right? And definitely Drones and all the other Muse albums that come after this, except maybe Simulation Theory. There's only one terrible song on that entire thing. And it's Get Up and Fight, by the way, because the song fucking sucks. But everything else is amazing but this song no this record no even the weakest song which we'll get to in my opinion on this record don't skip it nope yeah you know uh jeff you, you mentioned about some of the the subjects that they tackle in these so in these songs as they go through and you know you mentioned conspiracy theories and you know i was reading up a little bit about this about the band and how i made like conspiracy theories is because it creates it creates the thoughts of the unknown which mm -hmm. really influences their songwriting and you know, I, I've never, I, I've never been a musician that I would define as a musician. I would never say I would never go and, and ever say to anybody, "Oh, well, I'm a guitar player." You know, in the things that describe what I do, I can strum a guitar. Sometimes it can sound like a song, but I'm never going to sit there and claim that I'm a musician. Not like you, Noah. Right? I mean, you are a musician. You, you've always been. So. But what I, but I, what I, if I ever had really gone down that road more in my life, I feel like how they go about their creative process for writing songs is something that I would probably do, because I, I just like the idea of of going down the avenues of things that you don't quite know that leads you to places you'd never thought of, and then writing about that. You know, not saying that there isn't merit in musicians who write a lot about their own personal experiences or you know, when a lead singer in a band breaks up with his wife or, or, or you know, divorces her husband, the whole next album is going to be really about that divorce. You know, I understand the, the therapeutic value of doing that and, and where your, your inspiration comes from. But I like the idea that, you know, when I listen to Muse, I'm not going to necessarily get that. I'm going to get more of that fantastical that draws me to certain types of movies and video games and comic books and you know, all that kind of stuff. Um, I think it's one of the reasons why I really, I really enjoy this band. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, as far as the visualization, I just want to say something else. So this, uh, I think this record is a jumping off port because of that lyrical concept. So much of the stuff before this wasn't as high concept as this record was for them. A lot of it is a lot of London indie alt rock. And their perspective as a band actually changed because Absolution and Time is Running Out blew up for them in the U.S. They had not had that kind of exposure. They had been underlying supporting acts, trying to get the record out there a little bit here. Their cover of Feeling Good was got, got a little bit of play here and there. But when Absolution broke up, uh, they actually were able to headline their first tour in the U.S. And they got to go to Roswell, New Mexico. And that experience, being in the United, the American desert with all of that extra shit, when they were no doubt partying for some reason, because they're a bunch of British people in the desert, that's what you would do, I guess, right? Um, fuck it, it was it's like the Beatles taking acid from Bob Dylan, right? All there's the one record like, "Hello, there, good to see you. Won't you be my girl?" To the next, they're like, "The octopus stabbed me, and I'm wondering where I go." <laughs> like, it's that fucking kind of movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's what it was like and a, and a good band does that right uh conversely metallica was like fucking yeah fucking yeah fucking yeah and they're like what if we just went 
fucking yeah. And that's it. That's why the, the Black Album started, and then they, they never really went back from that. Then they did Sad Anger, which was them going fucking yeah again, with someone banging on a loud-ass drum for 45 minutes. I'm so fucking bad about that, that oh, album. Listen, I have a lot of strong feelings about saying Saint Anger. We should recover that, that as a hate review sometimes. Oh. <laughs> real fucking pissed <laughs> off about Saint Anger. I, I'm pissed off about Saint Anger when I went, because that's the tour that I first saw Metallica. When I, I finally got to see Metallica with Saint Anger and realizing that Lars couldn't fucking play the drums to keep up with Saint Anger. Was that the, the show? Of- was that the show where Godsmack opened for him? Yes. Yes, where Godsmack, of all fucking bands in the world, outplays Metallica at yeah. their own fucking show. Yeah. Godsmack played 40 minutes. Metallica played for three days. And Godsmack was a better set. Yeah. No. They Godsmack did this like bongo drum duo like solo thing solo, before yeah. their last yeah before their last solo uh, before their last song and like <laughs> half three quarters of that fucking set from Metallica was Lars standing up yelling at the crowd because he couldn't fucking keep up he was out of breath he was blowing up yeah, yeah you know that Saint Anger is an album Metallica needed to play in their twenties not you know in two thousand seven when that tour went on or whenever it was, it was brutal. so it was yeah brutal. so moving along. Starlight. So the so take a bow swells up with its big apocalyptic finish to open a record, by the way, and you get the weird Bellamy, which I want to talk. We can talk about the technicality of Muse, but Matt Bellamy actually has invented guitar hardware to kind of achieve that sound of like a theremin guitar. One of his custom guitars, it took several of them now. He calls one the DeLorean, and the different models has a pad at the, behind mm-hmm. the pickups to allow him to give that theremin sound yep. that he goes all over the record with here but then it goes from that to the almost i would say undisputedly the poppiest record song on this entire fucking record in starlight yeah one of their poppiest songs ever period yeah yeah there's one on every record from from this one till till the end of time there's always one you're like that's that's the one there's the one that he's like just in case i break up with whatever supermodel i'm sleeping with now that's the next song I get to, to do listen. With. First off, Matt Bellamy doesn't sleep with supermodels. He fucks. He okay? doesn't fuck. Yeah. Let's let's not let's not try to sugarcoat that. You know, he's putting rose petals on the uh, on the bed, and they're they're Sarah McLaughlin's playing in the fucking background or whatever bullshit. I do believe I feel yeah. you. Yeah, we're not getting there. I <laughs> <laughs> uh, just want to point out, everybody. Noah did that fucking without even hesitating. Nope. Uh, so we know he's got. <laughs> We know he's got some surfacing and and everything in his song catalog. Oh, I've told my wife that if there's a knock at the door and Sarah McLaughlin's there, she's like, "I'm sorry, hi, I've got some puppies in my back seat and my tires flat. Will you help me?" I ain't helping her with those puppies. I say that it's not the whole thing goes going on. Oh shit. Thing. Um. Yeah. Matt. Matt Bellamy definitely fucks. And yeah. and his his. So this is the question I want to ask everybody about this song because this this song has a special place in my in my life. All right, when you guys are driving along and there's a song that comes on the radio, right? Do you fucking belt that song at the top of your lungs with the windows up and just let it all fucking on the table? Do you fucking like well, this is what I do? I steering wheel drum. Like a fucking champ. If steering wheel drumming, if steering wheel drumming was an actual thing that I could get on, like America's Got Talent, I'd be at least in the final ten on that fucking show. <laughs> um, 
Starlight comes on the radio, and I will fucking steering wheel drum that drum line of that fucking song every single time. I absolutely love the rhythm uh, that they carry in that, and just the the bum, cha, bum, you know. The two and then the three. Oh, the, yeah. yeah. The, two, the, the one, two, one, it's the three, <laughs> and just, it's so fucking good. And as the song progresses, that that drum line just with that foundation just again builds and fucking picks up so hard. Um, this is probably my my second or third favorite song off of this album. Um, I I it's it's one I will. You said Noah, you you put it on your 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 playlists and everything. You'll you won't skip it. This is one for me that no matter any time I hear it, if I'm flicking through radio channels, if it comes on a playlist. I will make sure it plays from start to finish and never hesitate. Yeah, I'll back you up on that. Um, I also love the drum beat for this, the, the, the double snare and then the triple snare. I think it's interesting. Um, because Jeff, you said it best, everything built on this record, and that's what Muse does. If they don't build up the, the dynamic of the song, then they're at least building to some sort of definitively cool line. Right. And what the final thought of the thing is. <clears throat> and this whole song builds... Uh, I have a weakness as far as for musical production. I, the older I get, the more I love. Everyone loves drum rolls, right? But I love a really tasty snare roll, where instead of a do 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 do, it's a da 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 da. Like it just builds up, and it says it's the most powerful. But when the end of this song just does a snare roll into the big final crunching guitar, our hopes and expectations, like and you're just fucking feeling it. Yeah. Oh yeah, you grip that wheat steering wheel. Yeah, your boater, you go from a zero to like a four o'clock right off of the basis of that. And uh, yeah, you know, and it, uh, that's one of those songs, I'm sure. I think when I listen to this to review this to the podcast, I think I sing, I think this is the only record in my whole life I know every word to, right? Because I've listened to it enough times. I'm pretty sure that at least one point I was in Bridgeville and I was singing, I think at this point in the song and I turned to my left and someone was staring at me. I don't fucking care. I'm just looking at them, swiggling, <laughs> singing the lyrics. <laughs> it's just good that they didn't get the soldier poem when I'm crying. That would have been a weird, weird moment. But yeah, I, I love that song. I um, this is a weird song. Is this one of the ones that was in fucking? Uh, no, it's super. It's Ma super massive black hole. It's that, the next one. Yeah, yeah. But it's it's kind of a weird vibe when you compare it to where the rest of the record is. But it's a it's that one poppy song that they have on all of their records now, and uh, I respect it. I would actually say it's probably. And I again, here's the thing. I fucking love this song, okay? I fucking love this song. I think this might be a contender for my least favorite song on this fucking record. And it's because I feel like it's, even though it does build up, it doesn't take the risks that so many of the other songs take. And I think that's why I love this album. This whole album was a risk for them. And it paid off, in a way. So, that's my Yeah, it doesn't, if you look at, you know, in terms of the other singles that they released from this album, it's it doesn't come in as heavy as most of the other ones do. Um, but I mean, it's a solid song and like Dave said, I'll sing along to it every time it comes on the radio. Um, overall, I dig it. I mean, you know, if you look at all the sort of the experimental sounds that they tried to sort of establish in that first song, like they don't really shove that sort of styling down your throat at all on this song. It's more of just like a straight sort of mellow rock song which maybe is why I liked it better. But, and, and I think that was, 
maybe this this first or second single i can't recall off the top of my head uh, it's, re- the second, it's the second the single yeah it's the yeah. second single came out in september 2006 uh yeah super massive black hole was the first single off the album yeah but i, I think you know that's those are the songs that you remember hearing on the radio that they still play today so you know i you do know, like there, that song. there's there's so you know I'll, I'll go to Lincoln Park here for again as as we kind of bounce back to that. You know, when you when you come out with Hybrid Theory, and that song that album is is as a commercial success as any album might be in history, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you got to come out your second album, and the pressure is on when you make your second album that do you do the same thing you did on the first album, or do you? do something completely different and there's always a lot of pressure for bands to do something that is exactly the same as the first album because that's what people came to know you by and then if you're good enough if that second album works you're lucky enough to get a third album and then you can go ahead and mix some shit up right for muse this is their fourth album so even though it's the second album in the United States that most of us really know about, right? So mm-hmm. they were already beyond the point where they needed to kind of start experimenting. And yeah. I love when bands can grow their sound, but you know, I would imagine, and Noah, you, being in bands and everything, you could probably speak to this more than I can, but you're not gonna produce an album that's gonna have 11 songs that are all gonna be the same theme and come out sounding exactly the same. You know? No, not if you're any good. No. So, you know, I like that this song is on this album because it, it totally, it is different. And I think that when you produce, you know, however many songs you do for an album and then pick the ones that go on to it, you know, tonally, you're going to have a song or two that's going to sound a little bit different overall. And there's there's a couple songs on this album, especially when you get the Soldier's Poem, that's very, a, a big departure. Um, but, you know, I, I, I think that just gives me a lot more respect for the band that, you know, they can change the sound a little bit, be a little bit more poppy on a song, on a track or two. And, you know, it's still, it still carries. Doc, how do you feel about this tune? Well, um, <laughs> so <laughs> this is one of the few songs that I've heard before. I couldn't remember where I heard it from. It was, I was convinced when I, when I listened to it back the first time, uh, that I, it was, I had to have heard than like a Nissan commercial or something. <laughs> it just sounds like a car commercial, like an energy efficient fucking car. Zero point zero uh, APR. Dun, 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 this dun. is. And I'm like, maybe that's where I've heard it from. But then I thought, you know, maybe just mistaking this for a Coldplay song because it sounds like a fucking Coldplay song, and I don't like Coldplay. So there was some irony in that, but no, it's not a bad song. It's just not a good song. It's not an awesome song. It's just there, just in the middle. And, that was kind of yeah. like I started picking up the steam with this album. Most of the songs are just to me there. They're not bad. They're not. They're just middling. Uh, and this song is the first one on the album that I found very middling. It's like a good melody, but like after take a bow and then I go into this, and I'm just like, all right, I guess so. We'll go with it. Let's let's vibe with it. Second listen, uh, same feeling. <laughs> it's. <laughs> Although I did write the second time under my the second listen, I was like, "Hey, it's the title of the album." Is in the song. Yeah. That's pretty much all I got from it. I thought that was kind of funny. Yeah, they slip uh, it in beyond there. That, beyond that, it just got a little bop to it. Like I said, it's a very pop feeling song. 
and I think it's probably why I don't dig it very much. Um, but uh, yeah, Coldplay Nissan commercial. That's where I'm at on it. So <laughs> I, I think actually, Jones, it was a Kia commercial when they had those hamster mobiles. I hope it was. <laughs> I, I think <laughs> I actually, I I legitimately think it is. Uh, I think it there's feels a like it would be. played. I think there's a Muse song played in one of those in one of those Kia hamster commercials for the Kia Soul. Um, if I'm remembering off the top of my head, also Starlight was heard in 2006's short-lived CBS cult series Jericho. The song was also used on clips for the NFL and NCAA 2009 seasons. It's heard in the 2010 film The Taurus, starring Angelina Jolie and Johnny Depp. The 2011 film Crazy Stupid Love, and is an international tie as a sequence for soccer on Sky Sports, or as international football, as we like to call it elsewhere in the world. Uh, yeah, so it doesn't say that it was released in that, but also, Wikipedia is fucking anti-Kia. <laughs> Let me get established. Oh. <laughs> I was unaware. I mean, okay, so, I mean, I don't really give a shit about Kia. But, yeah, Starlight. So, I'm going to just go ahead and hop on the third song here. Supermassive Black Hole. Uh, okay. So I'm just gonna get my opinions on this song right away. This song fucks, okay? And this song absolutely fucks. I don't care. The guitar, the guitar riff on this song is so fucking good. <laughs> it is. It is. It just. It's just. It's a vibe from the minute it starts. There. Yeah. Uh, now, interesting. Uh, I don't like to talk about uh, about being a musician or a wrestler too much on the show. Um, here's a nice fun fact that uh, my heel song when I'm at heel wrestler is by muse as well right from a previous record but uh when i uh, have acoustic shows i cover this song and there's a reason why i cover this song because the first like eight times i heard it before i read the lyrics to it there's a line in here uh that says i thought i was a fool for no one but ooh baby i'm a fool for you and i swear to god i thought i'd say ooh baby i'm a fool for no one and uh and so now when i cover it but i said "Ooh, baby i'm a fool drew i do it every <laughs> time now this is the this is this is the only muse song i'll ever cover just so i can fucking say that line um to me this song is like it reminds me that if the vampire scene in blade 2 when they're all wearing fucking eastern european fur coats and fucking biting on each other mm -hmm. and dry humping in the dance floor right before wesley snipes and ron perlman walk in and ruin the whole fucking thing this song could play and it would fit you know like, <laughs> oh yeah so this song in my opinion all i simply say is this song fucks and i hold no regret about how much it fucks yeah no, I, it's, uh, uh, it's go ahead jones go on I was just okay, gonna. Yeah. I, I don't have a ton to say about it outside of I wrote. Uh, this is a fucking jam. Uh, it's got just a really good groove. To it. I, this is the second song that I had heard on this album previously, uh, and I always enjoy it. Uh, no matter when I hear it, um, I'm pretty sure I put it on a Spotify playlist before. I'm, I'm almost 100 percent sure I have. Um, it's just it's it's got a groove to it. That is just you can't help but like bob your head and sh you know shift your weight a little, little whether you're driving or you know, take, make, taking a walk or something. But you know it's just the band has such an ability to just give you so many different types of musical like I'm as not being a musician I'm not sure the, the proper terminology but it's just the palette is so wide with them they can just give you 
so many different things. Each song can sound so drastically different and not sound like they should belong together on the same album, which I think is a strength. Uh, mm-hmm. they're, they're just creativity, but eh, it's a fucking jam. That's, that's what yeah. I'm at. That's what I'm at. Like, oh, <laughs> I really like that song a lot. I, I echo that. I mean, it's it's a great fucking song. The the guitar riffs are great. Um, the the pitch that he tries to achieve in the vocals is a bit much, but I think and I think you know there's you know overarching in the entire album. Sometimes they try a little too hard, uh, but in this particular song, I think it's effective, and it, it's it's a fucking jam for sure. Well, if you read if you read a little bit about the making of this album, Jeff, what you said is actually what they're going for. They wanted to see just how fucking far they could push it, mm-hmm. and they wanted to see how yeah. how just over the top they could go. And in fact, some of the songs they'll even say, and I think we get to Knights of Sidonia and we talk about that. They even said we just we were laughing at, at some points when we were writing this song just to see how fucking crazy and how far out we can make it and take it and 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 see yeah. how people react to it. Um, Noah, you mentioned about this song that it fucks, right? Mm-hmm. This song, I feel like, walks into a room with, with like a fucking pair of tearaway pants, and <laughs> and just a really fucking like small like tight speedo. When it's just ready to fuck, it just rips the whole thing off and goes. Yep. But you also mentioned that this is a song you would expect to hear in Blade too, and this is where my my connection to the song starts to change over the years. This is my favorite song off the album. I, I think the song, just the guitar riff itself alone, Dude. just fucking just, just, just goes. But, you know, you come across people in life that have different experiences than your own, right? And this brings me to my beautiful, wonderful, sweet, sexy, intelligent, significant other, Stephanie, my, my future wife and mother of my children. Um, because, you know, her experience with the song was very different than mine. So we're driving along one day, and I got this song on a playlist, and I'm, I'm and we're rocking up the playlist. I'm early on when we're dating. I'm trying to be like, you know what? Let's let's go ahead and let you listen to some of my music here, see what you kind of think, see if there's some stuff you like. And Supermassive Black Hole comes on, and she goes, "Oh, Vampire Baseball." <laughs> I'm like, the "Fuck, you oh. talking about?" She goes, "You don't know Vampire Baseball?" Yeah, it's from Twilight. No, it's from Twilight. So I had to fucking sit down and watch Twilight. And um, <laughs> the scene comes where they're in a fucking field and it's snowing for whatever reason uh, or close to it. Twilight. It's Twilight. And uh, it's like, oh, yeah, this song fucking comes on. I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> and she's like, see, Vampire Baseball. And then every single time the song comes on, she's like, Vampire baseball instead of supermassive black hole, and I'm like, oh, fuck, <laughs> that's don't, funny. Don't she just ruined it for you. Just don't do this to me. Um, that's funny. So, so yeah, that is uh, that is where and one of the notes I had to put down here for that. You know, it is my favorite song on the album. Uh, it might be one of my favorite songs that they've ever written. Um, but it also it's also attached to you know Robert Pattinson and you know Kristen Stewart and, and the like hitting baseballs really far and having to run after them. So, oh. yeah. Well, you know, uh, the song fucks so hard that it can even be associated with Twilight, and I will I will not even be upset about it because it doesn't matter. Uh, last association I make with this song, and it's a weird because, you know, wrestling brain, it's always there, right? Um, I always say, I know we all remember the tag team Eminem, 
with Mercury, Nitro, and Molina. And that vibe where they used to come out with a paparazzi and the fucking fur coats and doing that whole kind of a weird shit they used to do. The, the visual vibe that they went with that fucking entrance is like that fucking attitude if that song walked into a room. You know what I mean? It's like, oh yeah, the song would end up doing splits with everyone looking at its ass. And it gets in there and it hangs a championship out like a giant dick out of its pants. It's, it goes. And then from here, we go to Map of the Problematic. Which um, I think if you're talking about sleeper songs on this record, play it fucking slaps. Uh, Map of the Problematic. It's one of my favorite. If I had to do a top three in this record. It's in there just because of the fucking the room. Like that fucking like a revving kind of a start. Like you're starting a car and it just goes. Excuse me. And spoiler, like almost every song, every single song on this record, it builds. But Map of the Problematic is our fourth song on the record. Jafar, tell me about this song. What are you feeling about it? Yeah, I, I mentioned earlier, like some of these songs sound like video game tracks. And this one in particular does is the the exact song that I wrote that note down on. Uh, and and I like it. I like the way it builds until the vocals kick in. And then like, it's like, come on, you, you just ruined that track. And, oh. and for me, it's like, have you guys ever like been invited to dinner at someone's house? And they're a great friend, but they're a fucking terrible cook. Mm-hmm. And so you sit down to eat the meal and they don't have a dog. So you can't like drop it on the floor. You have to like force your way to eat it. And it's like in your mouth and you're just like fake smile, trying not to throw (laughs) up in your mouth and tell them how great it is. Like that was my experience from like song four to like seven or eight of this album. (laughs) Like, like I'm just, I, I forced my way through it. And you know, this song in particular, it's, I like the the overall track. I just don't like the vocals. And then the next two songs, we'll get into that when we get into that. But so, as as someone who has cooked for each and every one of the people on this podcast, um, <laughs> I have always enjoyed every one of your cooking. So the <laughs> fact that I'm now thinking to myself, "Who's Jeff talking about?" Here? You're like, "Was that me?" <laughs> <laughs> Fuck no! You you have a dog. You're good. That's true. I do. I, that was the That's only right. saving That's grace. Saving right there. I, no, I do have a dog. <laughs> So we're, we're all right there. Oh. <laughs> um, I want to piggyback off what Jeff said. Um, and, and also what you said, Noah, this, this is a sleeper song on this, on this album for me. This was the song that I didn't know I needed in my life, but I got. And it reminds me of like, you guys remember the anime, the TIE Fighter anime that, that came out years ago when you, you see them just pouring out of the fucking Star Destroyer and mm-hmm. they're going to the swarm. And, yeah, the swarm. And you go into the the whole battle with the X-Wing pilots and everything. Like, I'm thinking to myself, if I'm fucking a stormtrooper in the black suit and I'm piloting up and I'm getting ready to go out and fight the fucking rebellion, that first minute and a half is just on fucking repeat. And I'm just listening to that over and over again to hopefully make it out of the battle. Um, it, it is like, in, I'll go with a video game reference to that too, it's Gradius. Like, if I'm ever piloting the Gradius ship from the Nintendo games... Same deal. Um, it definitely lends to a heavy video game vibe. Um, you know, the guitar, especially in the first minute, just slaps so hard. Um, I I loved this song. Um, you know, this is probably my second favorite song off the album. All right, Jones, before you hop in, I just want to give a, like a, a, one of the things that Muse does. And sometimes 
and I don't think it happens on this record because I'm biased about this record, but it does happen with them. They love that production where you start a song and then like as soon as the first 10 seconds of the song goes on, it's like you're going into a tunnel, right? And you're going through and you're driving and you're waiting for it. And then when you get to a certain part, the song opens up. Right. And I think that's what the song does halfway through because you're just like, and it's driving. And then it, then it like uh, all the reins are off and it goes. Uh, but I respect the idea. And it really doesn't do other than what it, it does the same thing musically the first half of the song and the second half of the song. It just, they play it a little harder in the second half of the tune, but it's, st it's still a driving tune. But yeah, I, I feel, I understand what you're saying. The, the his uh, vocal, Bellamy's vocal and his falsetto. That he loves to do because there's operatic, that very Jeff Buckley kind of style from the 90s. You know, I feel like in 1993, he heard Jeff Buckley's cover of Hallelujah. And he was like, oh, that, that, I'll do that forever. Right. Like that kind of a style and just randomly go with a Freddie Mercury falsetto. It's not for everybody. My father hates it. <laughs> like, dude, and I'm like, Dad, oh, you got to listen to this. I still fucking just randomly, I won't tell him his muse. I'll just copy <laughs> links and fucking text it to him. And then he'll be like, Why didn't you send me this shit? I'm like, Fucking deal with it, Dad. <laughs> Here's the thing, and I'll just call it a spade a spade. One of these things is going to outlive the other one. And I'm <laughs> calling well, it out. Goddamn. <laughs> Sorry, Ron. Jones, how do you feel about Map of the Problematique? Well, I don't know now. Um, <laughs> well, so, <laughs> uh, both listens, both, both runs, uh, I still wasn't really feeling it until, uh, like about the minute 40 second mark when it starts to really, it's paying off <clears throat> for me. Um, the song really opens up at that point in the latter half of the song. Um, uh, yeah, it's not bad. It's again, middling, uh, it's got good melody, uh, lyrics are fine, but you know, I was gonna wait until the end of the this episode covered, but like straight up, I enjoy Muse more when I'm not listening to the lyrics. Like if I, I, I if I catch a couple words, a couple sentences here and there, a verse maybe, maybe I can catch most of it. But like so much is oftentimes happening. I have a hard time sometimes with certain bands really focus. focusing on both the melody and the shit that they're trying to pour out of their their pie hole. You know, and the Muse is one of those groups because they're saying a lot of shit. And sometimes there's so much distortion, it's hard to follow for me because I'm listening to so much music, so much melody, so much energy. I'm caught in that. Uh, but I find that I enjoy their music more and I'm really just not even trying to understand what the hell, what's his name? Bellamy, what he's even saying. Um, yeah. But uh, this song is one of them. Like, I, I, it, it's good. It's not great, but it really opens up uh you know halfway through so i really otherwise if it didn't i probably would have hated this song but thankfully it did open up so i don't have to hate it respectful respectable uh now we got to go to what i already knew before we get into this uh before we ever started talking might be one of the most polarizing songs on this record soldier's poem okay now jeff i want to give you the opportunity <laughs> Flat out here <laughs> to whip out your Dutch penis and do what you want to do to this song. Go for it. Does this it is yours. Have, Jeff, does your Dutch penis have a windmill attached to it? Because I feel like it should. Depends on the day. Right, and what I'm fair. doing with it. That's fair. <laughs> uh, so I only wrote down uh, three letters with an exclamation point in my notes for this song. 
what the fuck? (laughs) 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 Like, they could have saved that two minutes. Like, it's completely unnecessary. It's terrible. And I don't know if it's like, it makes you cry. It made me cry in a different way because I had to listen to it for the sake of this episode. But what the fuck? I mean, come on. <laughs> fuck you, Muse. Matt Bellamy, fuck you. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, oh. I didn't think of all the things in our show that would, that, that, that would get that from Jafar. It was this song on his record. <laughs> <laughs> it's just not good. It is not good at all. Oh. Mac, how do you feel about Soldier's Home? Well, I don't really feel a lot of ways about it, to be honest. I, I, I kind of uh, I, I went down the rabbit hole in this song a little bit because it is just so different than the rest of the album. And you don't really hear a lot of ballads by Muse really at all. So I was kind of more curious as why this song came about. And I, from what I kind of found about it, um, they, they patterned this song after Elvis's Can't Help Falling in Love. So you hear the guitar and everything. You can kind of hear hear where they're going with it. And originally, they the way they wrote the song was to be big. You know, they mm-hmm. originally wrote the song to be a big, grand, operatic, muse song. And then just kind of before they, and I think this is supposed to be actually for another album too. Um, that I think this is supposed to be out on Absolution before. They wrote this for Absolution, but yeah. never liked how they tracked it. Yeah, And so exactly. they cut it from there, yeah. Right. So they um, they decided that, you know, instead of let's just go ahead and take away everything that we do and write this and create the song and write the song and perform the song um, just the, uh, the other way. And, um, you know, th- this one was not heavily produced. You know, they use they, they took away most of the stuff that they use in the in the recording studio to produce it and perform it. Um, so I kind of went down that rabbit hole more on it. I mean, it's it overall. I I don't know that it necessarily fits the overall theme of the of the album. But again, I I don't really have a problem with bands doing whatever the fuck they want if they feel like it's right for what they're doing. Um, this isn't my least favorite song on the album. Um, I just think it's okay. Doc, how do you feel about it? Uh, well, this is easily my least favorite song of all, um, like without question. Uh, but not because. It doesn't fit, no. But but I I appreciate why it's there. And I I have no idea what the lyrics were. Zero idea. Uh, it did not make me cry. Um, although I feel like there's probably a good reason that it, it elicited an emotional response out of you. Uh, however, I think the song placement is good um, because. If every song is fast-paced, no song is fast-paced. If every song is heavy and big, no song is heavy and big. So you have to slow this down a little bit. Bring us back down to earth. You know, get your um, your let me up match, right? Get your, like, mm-hmm. get up so you can go to the bathroom. Not saying that's, you know, that type of song, but, like, let us come down a little bit before we can ramp back up again to get to the end of the album. So I appreciate the placement of it in, in the album. But, um... Uh, I just wasn't feeling it, um, it but it, it did have to exist, you know, easy skip. Like, I listened to it twice, second time, I didn't even realize I was listening to it, because it was just so, like, in and out for me. Um, 
but uh, it definitely it definitely helps when the next track kind of picks up and you kind of get back to that groove again with uh, what you're used to with the band. Interesting. Uh, yeah, this song always kind of uh, struck me as the the first intermission on the record to a certain extent. The first chance, like you said, to bring you back down, grab a hold, and get some air and let them feel. Um, I love the idea. Absolutely, it's got a comparison to "Can't Help But Falling in Love with You," but where that song is a romantic hopeful song i think it was like this song with everything going on and all the high concept stuff like the very first i still i think why this song elicits emotional response to me and it's because where all the other stuff is so high concept on this record like so much of the other stuff there's only like two songs on this record that aren't fucking space aliens high concept grand conspiracy delusion this i immediately got the idea of somebody sitting on a sidewalk with a cardboard sign in their hand and no fucking legs, right? And watching people walk by with their $9 cup of coffee in their hand and seeing everyone post on their social media, it's like, and you fucking think that you deserve what you have. And the first time I ever heard the song, and to this day, every time I ever hear the song, the idea that someone from that point of view says there's no justice in the world and there never was like that fucking that's like that's like a right there and it's just like and it, that's as low as far as on the energy and emotional level that this record goes and it goes early into that point and like and then from there it a lot it like it clears the palette so i like it i don't think it's a the worst track on the record i would put it solidly in the middle because it's important as far as like a, the journey that the album takes you on. But uh, yeah, it's one of those. And here's the other thing too, is that if you ask me to name a Muse lyric, there's a chance that that's the line I'll name, even though it's not my favorite song on the record. But I think it's got like it, the whole song as all Muse songs do build up. It builds up to that line. And I can't help but feel like he's sitting in the bathroom one day, taking a shit or something. And he writes that line he's like oh that's it that's that's the end of the song and then, then he works backwards there uh, <laughs> no but yeah but they originally recorded it for absolution making it big and trying to make it sweep an epic but it never worked it never fit for the rest of the album they would say because they don't think the instrumentation works but i would say is because if you added guitars and drums and more strings to that song it would sound like four other songs in absolution like you wouldn't be able to fucking separate them so i think it was it was smart but speaking of songs like they belong on absolution we get to invincible which this is where i texted everybody and said hey listen just FYI, you don't have to listen to fucking absolution or uh the resistance uh if you don't want to but i'm going to talk about it part of that was because of this fucking song and i'll start off on this song this song could be put on any muse album and it would fucking fit on every muse album because it is in my opinion the quintessential muse song after their first record it fits the same little orchestra a little bit of a build-up here's a definitive i'm not sure if it's a weird guitar line or a great guitar line i'm not sure by the end of the song but this sounds like if you had told me that this was a song that was on absolution i would get it um it's a good song it's a fine song right but i uh it is my least favorite song on the entire record not to say that i don't like it but to me it's the weakest song on record because it doesn't do it's the only song on this entire fucking record that doesn't do anything new. 
Yeah, you know, Noah, I um, I have a couple notes as we get into this part of the album where they feel like there are a lot of quintessential Muse songs. You know, around this point, track six, track eight, Exopolitics, you know, I kind of thought that as well. It's like, this just, this feels like a Muse song to me. If I picked it up and dropped it on mm. any other Muse album, I feel like it just goes there. It would fit, yeah. But I, where I, where I will go ahead and say what I liked about this song was that it, it felt very... In a weird way, it felt almost like religious to me. You know, you, you have this cathedral-like sound at the beginning of the song that- They that put I, that organ on some shit, yeah. Yeah, that I that I really liked. And it was kind of like, I almost had this like high cathedral. Because, you know, they, they actually began working on this album at an old chateau in France. So you can kind of feel some of that influence, I think, on this song in particular, where they kind of really take advantage to kind of give you almost like a high ceiling sound. Right, especially mm -hmm. how the song goes. Um, Good way I, to put it. I, um, you know, just some of the notes I kind of had on here is that you know, the, uh, I, I love the bass in this song. You know, I I, I love uh, Matt uh, crushing the guitar uh, on this, which again fits into Absolution and and stuff that's come prior. Because you know, in a lot of those songs off Absolution, he fucking crushed the guitar. Yeah, he he played guitar in a way that I didn't know necessarily people would be able to play the guitar before. You know, um, so yeah. I mean, I I don't I don't really. I'm not going to say this was one of my least favorite songs off the album. Again, I kind of put it somewhere in the middle. Um, but I, I did have that note that it just it does feel like a Muse song, but I, I thought in a good way. Doc, how you feel about this one, Invincible? Uh, <clears throat> so I, I uh, went on a, a journey with this song specifically. One of the many songs in this album I'd never heard before in my life. Um, so first time I listened to it, uh, I did not like it. Um, I mean, it's, it starts to build, it kind of ramps up that tempo that where uh, soldier's poem kind of leaves off, which is good. Kind of brings it back to speed. Um, and I, I felt uh, the first time that song was largely forgettable. I kind of, I'm assuming kind of like in the vein of the same, what you guys are saying, like it's, you know, it's, it's a, it's a new song, you know, you can pick it up, you know, plug it in anywhere you want. It still fits Muse, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, and I wrote specifically, it feels like it's there just to be there. Um, but then the second time I listened to it, uh, which will lead to a, whole, a bigger conversation. I'll try to just skirt a little bit. I really enjoyed it the second time. Uh, I don't know if it, was, it just, it was just a different experience. And not only did I enjoy it, like, I, if I like a song, I will just like it and put it on my playlist on Spotify. That's how I know a song is good for me. And that was an instantaneous, like, halfway through the second list, I'm like, yeah, we're just gonna, we're just gonna put that on this playlist right now. And then I listened to it, like, four more times after that, uh, throughout the rest of that day. Because uh, I just, I fucking just felt the shit out of that song. Um, and, and interestingly, and I think that Listen to it the first time, the whole album the first time, and then listen to it the second time. Some of these songs had a different, had a different reaction to it. And it's it's so interesting how, as humans, how we are when we listen to music or any sort, we we ingest any sort of art or consume any sort of art or medium, based on our mental state, our emotional state, where we are in life, where we are in our week, our day, our hour, our minute, you know, can totally change how we receive that particular form of art. Right, like, 
And I just thought it was so cool how I went from this song kind of fucking sucks to hope oh, this song's fucking amazing. You know, the, the, I used to have these conversations with people. I'm sure you guys have had these conversations like, you know, uh, Dave, well, you're, you're an athlete, right? So I'm sure when you were younger and you were playing, you know, sports very, very frequently in high school and, 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 and you know, in older years, you know, you'd listen to maybe music to get you fired up, right? Music to get you focused, get you almost even pissed off, right? Um, and I think that you needed that music, not necessarily needed, but like you could utilize something to bring you from a calm state to a fired up aggressive state, right? Um, it could just change you totally, change your outlook, change your day. And I just think it's interesting that like I could have a certain type of day and it totally changes how I even like, I wouldn't even want to listen to that song. And then two days later, the only difference is I didn't fucking work that day. I got a night, a good night's sleep. Nothing was different. And I had just a totally opposite experience. And it's just really fascinating uh, how the brain works, but um, really like it. I think it's excellent. Jafar. Yeah. Oh, sorry, Mac. Go ahead, I was going to say, uh, I'll give you, I'll actually give you a little bit of it, uh, a yeah. little bit of behind the scenes on that Jones. The who I l listen to a lot of times get me like really fucking pumped up for, when I'd be playing hockey or have like a big game coming up, uh, a lot of uh, a lot of Tool and Perfect Circle, a lot of a lot of Keenan, you know, a lot of Maynard, Great. yeah, a lot of Speaking a lot of, of Maynard bands. Like Tool is so good live, yeah, for four guys just to make a sound and an impact like they do in a live show is fantastic. But for me, for this song in particular, I didn't take many notes on it. I thought it was an okay song, and Jones, you mentioned it earlier. Like a lot of a lot of Muse songs. The, the music and the tempo sort of overpowers the song. Like you hear Matt Bellamy singing, but you don't necessarily hear the words that he's saying. It's more the melody that helps carry the yeah. song. And for me, this was one of the few songs that the music was at like a, a level where I could actually focus on the lyrics. And the lyrics are really powerful in this song. It's a very mm -hmm. positive forward-looking message um, to build people up. And that that's what I liked about this song in particular is that they didn't try too hard like they do in a lot of songs. And it it, it gave you a, a, a chance to sort of breathe and take in what they were saying and, and focus on that, which is one thing that I liked about this song in particular. Yeah, uh, which, that's actually that's very important in observations, gentlemen. I like it. Um, I, it, may, it might be, too, that my opinion of the song is more because uh, I listen to so much music and have listened to so much that I can place Invincible, like, there's like three or four songs that I'm like, you know, like, I'm when I'm playing it back in my head before the record's on, that I'm like, is that falling away from you, uh, from me on Absolution? Is that the song on Second Law? You know, and it like pulls it in there. But for sure, but it absolutely is like the calm before the storm, because the next song is Assassin. <coughs> and uh, Assassin, to me, uh, is the spiritual follow-up to Stockholm Syndrome, uh, whereas Stockholm Syndrome it kicks you off. On a, it, Stockholm Syndrome is the only song that sounds like that on, abs, on Absolution. And it's like, it's, a, it's, just, it's a thrasher, and it's a fucking just a, a emotional ordeal. And where maybe the lyrics aren't as powerful in Assassin, it still is like, oh, by the way, fuck you. And it just like kicks in. And um, I mean, the double kick drum 
on that song. Like it's the it's his pound so hard. I think Invincible probably has the best guitar solo and, and that like that whole sweep arpeggio that he's doing on Invincible is extremely impressive. But this is Dominic, the drummer. This is his this like Assassin's like his song on that record and it fucking drives on there. Um yeah, it's got it's got one of my favorite uh musisms. And I, I say that because Matt Bellamy likes to just randomly in certain parts in records. He does it more now when he can just do whatever the fuck he wants to do with the English language. Uh he creates words out of thin air. And this has one of my absolute favorite musisms in the song. He calls it demonocracy. And I was just like, like it was the first time I heard it, like it fucking stuck out like a sore thumb. I'm like, did he did he just say destroy demonocracy? Which is again, you're like invincible is like we could do it together. Together, we're invincible. And he's like, fucking oppose and destroy. Let's bring it all down. <laughs> fucking the child has come for you. Which to me also sounds like, and let me tell you like the idea, because this this record came out in 2006 and kill bill came out like the year before this right and i kind of imagine that in the inevitable time when uma thurman's the bride is sitting there with her grown-ass daughter on the beach and all of a sudden the daughter from the beginning of the first movie shows up with a knife that fucking song's gonna play and she got stabbed uma thurman like 32 times to this song. So that's the kind of imagery it's like oh shit so it's like oh i'm we're glad you enjoyed your two song break here on Black Hole and Revelation. <laughs> uh, because we're fucking... Uh, it, because the next couple of songs are going to be... And it puts you in a way. So um, I, I was like Assassin. I always thought it's 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 neither my favorite nor least favorite song. It's a middle of the road. But it's definitely, I think, uh, from start to finish. It doesn't really build. It's the only song on a record that doesn't build to anything. Because it starts punching you in the face. And then it moves to your body. And then it goes back to your face. <laughs> Yeah, for me, for me, like, I tend to like a lot of Muse's heavier stuff. And this song, like, comes out of the gate swinging. And I don't know if you guys ever listened to, like, System of a Down, but Darian, Darren Malakian, who's the guitar player for System of a Down, like, that's the vibe I was getting from this song. Like, just that heavy, fast-paced tempo uh, right out of the gate. And I like this song a lot, actually, compared to, you know, a lot of the others that came before it, but that's, that's my opinion. No, it's definitely, it's definitely uh, for the throat. It reminds me a lot of the heavier stuff on like hypnotize and some of the later system of a down when it was just, it was just like, let me fucking play and hit that double kick and go. So yeah, for sure. 100%. Yeah. Jones, how do you feel about, about assassin? Uh, so uh, track number seven uh, or assassins, assassin or as i like to call it ass ass in uh, i thought it was like not a terrible song um, <laughs> oh fuck it is ass ass in um why why did i not see that coming like <laughs> <fuck> i know <laughs> uh anyhow yeah please um didn't really dig it that hard. And I don't know if it's because it was too heavy for me, which is weird because I like heavier music. I just wrote very specifically, it feels messy at points. And I know that was intentional, uh, but I just did not vibe with me. Um, it's not a terrible song. It's not a bad song. It's just kind of what I mentioned earlier in, in our conversation about some of the tracks on this album. It's very middling. It's very, very like, eh, it's not bad. I can roll with it. 
let's background noise this shit and keep going. That's kind of how, and both listens, it just felt, it was just too, it was too much happening for me to enjoy it. So, yeah. Assassin. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> ah. <laughs> Matt, and however you will think of that song in that way. But nope, way. never. I've listened to that song literally a hundred times, and I, now I'm going to just call it Assassin. Yep. I mean, how do you follow that? Assassin <laughs> <laughs> out? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, eventually you have to go out when you go in. So that's right. Um, my note on this was, you know, it, it reminded me a lot of like the opening credits of like Knight Rider. You know, with the guitar riff. Mm. That was like that was the main note that I had when I heard it. Uh, and then I just wrote afterwards this song Fox. So um because it, it is a it is a heavier it is a heavier song for sure. Right yeah, I mean, in yeah. the ass ass. Yeah, <laughs> in and out. And and then we repeat in, then out again, then in, then out. And then ass just ass the tip, mouth. Just the tip, then back out again. And then you know maybe we'll flip it around and see what see what happens. You know, you gotta do the Zach and Mary. You gotta go half half whole, half yeah. half whole. That's the ass ass in out ass ass in, and then repeat. You know, uh, which might be where they get the uh, where they got the drum line for uh, for the second track for Starlight. You know, the the the, the one <laughs> two one three snare, uh, ass in in yeah. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's again, you know, I, I always kind of get to a point in albums where, you know, in today's day and age, consuming music is very different than how it was when we were growing up. You know, the, the album in a lot of times is supposed to tell a story and, or you hope it does, you know, and, uh, but always I kind of figure when you get the tracks, you know, six, seven, eight, nine, they're there because, you know, you got to fill in an album because an album's got to have so many tracks. Uh, to be an LP and, and whatnot. So, you know, I always kind of feel like they're the good songs for an album typically are the first four or five tracks, and then you, you'll toss a couple strong ones at the end. But, you know, in the middle, it almost kind of seems filler. And I'm not saying this 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 seemed filler to me, but, you know, kind of at this point of the album uh, with with it, it, it starts to just, it, it just, again, feels very muse to me, you know, and, and how you said too, Jones, that this is the one that, or uh, Noah, where you said this is the one that kind of goes off Stock Stockholm syndrome, you know, I kind of feel that way too. Um, but again, like I've I've I I like Stockholm syndrome better than I like this song. So oh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of like my my thoughts on that. I think uh, I think yeah, I agree with you on that one. I think Stockholm syndrome is one of those. It's it's not fair to compare the song to that, except no. that I feel like the, absolutely it's in the same vein. Where St Stockholm Syndrome, to that point, the band had never had not done anything as hard as that. And when you think about it, as emotional Stockholm, so, like even the new stuff gets heavy. But like by the time you get to the end of Stockholm Syndrome, like with the I wish you would, like you're moving, like you ain't got nothing, not a bone in your body that isn't fucking worked up about it. And I think Assassin goes for that, but it, it's it's not layered. In enough way, maybe on purpose, to, to get you to get you all the way there. And I think it might be done on purpose because of how the record ends. As far yeah. as like getting you, get you still got they still got to leave you somewhere to go. And maybe they felt like because and no part of Absolution hit harder than the last ten seconds of Stockholm Syndrome, right? And that's the fifth uh, song. 
on Absolution. Yeah. Right. So I think I think they probably wanted to save, you know, like a little a little bit of for the end. Um, but after that comes Exopolitics, which I also have in my notes, is, which I imagined would be the second most divisive song to appear on the record for a completely different reason than Soldier's Poem. Doc, how do you feel about Exopolitics? So, uh, <laughs> didn't write much. Um, we're just following that train of middling songs that feel, this is like of all the tracks on this album, this is the one that both playthroughs, like I absolutely didn't realize I was halfway through until I was halfway through it because it doesn't, it's solid. Not a single song on this album is like, I don't know, musically, is it that good? No, it, they're all good. They're all, you know, well done, but excellent background noise. Like, I don't even know if there's better background noise on this album than this one song. <laughs> um, and that's not necessarily an insult. That's what music can be. And it serves that purpose. Um, I don't I don't feel strongly about it one way or the other, which is actually kind of an insult, I guess, in a way, because I don't really feel <laughs> anything. It didn't, didn't drive any emotions out of me outside of... If, if people can't see me, I'm just bobbing my head. That's what the song is. Yeah. Like, it's there, and I'm just kind of wouldn't want to change on my aquarium. That's the song. Interesting, Mac. I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of echo Jones a little bit. My my note for this was this is a very Muse song, uh, and I think because it's a very Muse song, and I feel like I, this is the one where I think more than anything, even more than Invincible, that I could pick up and put on any Muse album, and if it would go there. You know, this this always feels like there's always that point in a Muse album between tracks is tracks like six, seven, eight, nine, where they just kind of feel like Muse songs, and that's kind of what I had with this one. Um, I, not that I dislike it or anything. I, I, I'm going to say it's my least favorite song on the album, just because I feel like I could have heard this on any other Muse album um, after this one, and it just kind of feels like it falls in. So if that means I feel like it's a mu, it's a formulaic muse song, and if and if I say that as being almost like a bad thing, then then that's where I'll go with it. But yeah, probably my my least my least um, you know um, like the the song that I'll least remember. Interesting, Jafar Exopolitics. Yeah, I think this was an overall middle of the road song for me. Like, I don't, I don't feel strongly one way or the other about it. The only th note I made was the opening guitar riff is super simple, but it's it's pretty fucking good. And it, it, it reminded me a lot of, like, Jack White's newer stuff, mm. like that heavy riff, but it's it's sort of soft in its super tone. Super simple, yeah. Yeah, but it's simple. Um, and I, I think, you know, the first 30 seconds of, of the song is the best part of the song. Um, with that opening riff, I think the rest is forgettable after that. It's interesting. I, I see. I, I called the divisiveness of it, and I guess divisiveness of you guys to me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> because this is uh, one of my favorite songs on the record. Uh, it's in my top four. Um, I love the way it layers. To me, it represents the last. Um, and I quote, I fell in love with it when I first heard it, and I did. I couldn't have known this now but now but li listening back after several albums later this is a the very first muse song that's entirely about aliens and two 
the very last Muse song that's entirely about aliens <laughs> that isn't fucking out there. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't like have some sort of weird nine minute exogenesis from like the end of resistance weird breakdown. It's still a rock song. It just happens to be about waiting for aliens to come because I'm fucking bored like that whole thing. But I think it's it's also because considering where they go from here for the last three songs on this record and then where they go from the resistance and then the second law and then drones and then simulation theory and then now whatever the new shit's going to be right this is the uh if you take every song in track order as like a um, um chronological musing this is the last normal rock song that they'll ever fucking do you know what I mean? Like this is it, and the, this is and and, and it, it does that. This is like the okay. So we spent three albums before this, mostly being a normal rock band with weird prog opera thing. But this is it, and we're just gonna play straight through it, and then we go. But I love the vibe. I love when the last. See, it's like the, the beginning. The riff is cool, but when it comes in, this is like the only time in Muse you get that standard. Like there's someone like Bellamy just decided to put a piano, like a ding 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 ding, like that at the end of the song. It's like fuck it. I don't care. We'll just do this here. So it layers up. So I I love it. Um, I'm going to give you a spoiler alert. As uh, part of the reason why I feel this record is so fucking strong is that I mean, from take about you can leave it or take it, no pun intended. But from Starlight <laughs> to and Supermassive Black Hole, that album starts fucking strong, right? The map of the problem, Eddie. Uh, and you talk about your mid-album low. I personally don't feel that the album has a mid-album low, but I think from Exopolitics until the end of the record is my favorite section of the record. Of my four favorite songs in the record, three of them are the, in the last four tracks. You know, like, and that's that's where it picks up there for me. Comes out of Assassin, which is heavy for in a way, and I love the song, but it's heavy for heavy sake. And Exopolitics is like, okay, here's some shit about aliens, and then from there. We go to City of Delusion, which is um, it's it's a sweeping kind of a song, in my opinion. I'll start this one off. It it uh, it takes some risks in the song. It just kind of moves around. The song is like when you're trying to chase a toddler and to put a shirt on it, right? And you think you got it, and then just when you get one arm and head, it's a fucking slips out, and it's like a greased up <laughs> Will Ferrell like getting around you, and you're trying to grab it, and it's all over the place. And by the time you fucking get it, it's because both you and the song are spent as shit. And you're just tired of chasing it. And that's, I guess that's the best compliment I could give. City of Delusion, which is my second favorite song on the entire record. So, how do you feel, Mac, how do you feel about City of Delusion? I really like City of Delusion. Now, you know, uh, Jones kind of mentioned something, and I'm very similar to Jones when I listen to music. Um, I will listen to a song 12, 15 times before I ever really pay attention to what the lyrics are saying. You know, mm -hmm. I, I always kind of take the lead singer as being another as being another instrument and in how the song and how the song kind of plays out. So, yeah, um, you know, I, I think as I gave it a listen and and, and again, with that in mind, I'm, I'm paying a lot more attention to the musicality of, of everything. And, you know, Bellamy, what I love about Bellamy in Muse is just how operatic he is and how big his voice is. And you don't. In, in the in the 80s, you know, especially with hair metal bands, you had a lot of male singers that had big voices. And then, you know, when the grunge scene kind of hit, it changed that. And, down and, a in, bit. and in today's day and age with music, I always like to joke that, well, if you have a fucking microphone and a computer 
and a room that kind of sounds okay, you can probably write something because there's a lot of musicians who have those really low singing voices and it's gonna make sense because I'm singing about how my favorite pair of jeans died. Um, <laughs> you know, and like we're, almost anybody can- I like, buy that record. I buy yeah, that record. <laughs> thank you, thank you. That's gonna be trending in Peru mm, uh, in, 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 uh, in a couple of weeks here. So it's it's one of those things where it's like, well, you know, that's what I like about Bellamy is that people can't there there are very few people that can sing like he does. And he has that big voice. And I, I like that he has that. And this song to me is very grand. And like you said, no, it, it takes risks. And I love how I love the synth in this song. I love how in the middle of the song, the bass just drops to a point where it's inside your head. Yeah. And it sounds like you're like listening to it in a fish tank or you're underwater or something a little bit. And where it just kind of goes inside, you know, the, the production of the song, I think, is is really great. And then they fucking drop that sweet horn on us. Yeah, you know? there's a trumpet solo they, in the middle. The trumpet solo <laughs> just comes out here. Right. And that sweet, sweet, sassy bitch that you didn't again, you didn't know you wanted it. You didn't know you needed it. But at the right time, it was the finger in your asshole that just made all the difference. So I, I'm really, <laughs> really, yeah, just at le or at least two, you know, at least two, you know, um, too deep, but, too wide. Um, <laughs> is, is, is that a preferential okay. you know, I don't know. I would just, just throw it out there. I'm just doing. Yeah, we're just doing geometry like, now. I was thinking to myself, we just, we just like, do I like the rotation of it all, or how does it really <laughs> go here? Um, but yeah, so I. I I like that this song is symphonic. I like that it's grand. I like that it plays harder than it has to. And and that's that's a big part of this. And and like you said, Noah, going through tracks five, six, seven, eight, you know, I kind of feel like I hit a little bit of a muse. Not that they're bad, but I just kind of feel like I hit a little bit of a muse law that we need to put some song, songs on this album to make sure it's an album. But I feel like once we get to, to City of Delusion and then the last two tracks here um i like how it just kind of speeds up again and it picks up and gives me some things differently than what i'm used to hearing good stuff doc city of delusion mm. i'm gonna read verbatim what i wrote oh i love when you do this um <laughs> <laughs> uh, i hope it just I says knew... wtf exclamation point <laughs> like soldiers to, oh, no 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 <laughs> I, I hope it has to do with two or three knuckles that's where i'm going with it <laughs> um city of delusion uh, i knew in the first 10 seconds of the song i wouldn't like it i was correct <laughs> um, <laughs> um and then as i listened to it a little further i wrote i did enjoy the final minute and change so there's that then the second listen, the full second listen, nothing's changed. It's still not good. So, <laughs> I, you know, it's weird, man. Like, and I, and that's just the thing about music, right? It's just, it's, you take it as, as it is for you. Um, I really like the second law. Like, I fucking love that album. It is so good. Uh, and I expect it to enjoy this album way more than I, I just thought I was going to really like it because it's the music. I like the music. Music makes good music. And I just, there's so many tracks on this album that are just like, I'm not sure why they're here. It feels like 
it's this thing that we've been saying. It's like here to be here because we need to pad out this shit. But so few songs to me make a real impact beyond like the first couple tracks and then everything just kind of feels paint by numbers, which is weird because nothing about Muse is really paint by numbers, but it mm. feels it. Matter of fact, no, fuck that. Matter of fact, it feels like too much Muse is a bad thing in a way. Like that, the thing we've said multiple times, like, oh, you can pick the song up and put up in any, uh, in any track or in any album. I feel like that's too much muse. Like it's too much of that. And that, that, I feel like that does slow the album down. It, it, it bogs it down in a, in a way that I didn't expect. And it was very jarring for me. So like City of Delusion, you know, I listened to it. Uh, I actually just a couple tracks I listened to before we recorded just to listen to them again, not the whole album. City of Delusion, I did listen to that again. Um, and it's like, that's not bad again. It's not great. Doesn't leave me with anything. You know, it just it begins, it ends, and I still don't know what the fucking song's even about. <laughs> it's just it's just happening. Muse songs just kind of happen to you. And then after a while, like Dave said, kind of then you start trying to listen to the lyrics, which are still kind of tricky to catch sometimes. Uh, I don't like having to look up lyrics. I've just never been a fan of that. I'll do it if I have to, if I really want to know. But I don't if I have to look up your lyrics, if you're not death metal, I shouldn't have to look up your lyrics, uh, honestly. And I still, I feel like that. If I, if I knew the lyrics better, I feel like a lot of these songs would hit differently for me. But hmm. interesting. It's all right. It's all right. I don't, I don't have uh, strong feelings for this song one way or the other. Uh, in my notes, this song could be interchanged with any Robert Rodriguez film. As a soundtrack. <laughs> yes. So next week when you're watching Book of Boba Fett episode four and Boba Fett is riding a bantha across the fucking Tatooine desert and they're playing City of Delusion, don't be surprised. Like, <laughs> like that's, that's, the, that's the vibe I got from Listen, this song. You like, just described. Bad or different. Most, most men thinking about, oh, if I could have sex with two, three women at the same time, that would fucking set me. If I fucking turn on a Boba Fett TV series... <laughs> That Robert Rodriguez has directed, and they fucking play City of Delusion all at the same time. <laughs> you live about ten miles from my house. You'll feel an impact on your roof. Yeah, that's that's what uh, Future Note was warning us about in the fucking and it's, That's there. Oh, it all connects. He he, he he didn't come back for nothing. Oh my god, Jeff! But Jesus. Oh, I'm gonna like babble to my wife. She's like, "So, what you guys talk about for five and a half hours on your podcast about one CD that's only forty eight minutes long?" Like, well, Jeff mentioned then in bubble fest, <laughs> my dick will split into three like a hydra. Uh, bubble fat, bubble fat, where? If you cut off the head of one dick, two more will grow in its place. That's how. That's how firmly aroused yeah, I will be from hydra. Yeah. The Dick Hydra. We need that should be a fucking album cover of somebody. Dick Hydra? The Dick Hydra. <laughs> fucking beautiful. Yeah, Succulent Peru's new album, Dick Hydra. Uh, no. Just put, just put the Red Skull's face on the dick, it'll work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, yeah. I mean, so this isn't for everything. It's a weird, random uh, uh, trumpet solo song. If you love it, you love it. If you don't, I understand it. But here's another song, and I figure this is the last of the divisive songs that would appear on this record for us. Hoodoo, number 10, which again is a, is almost a complete another musism that he just decided to fucking 
put in the middle of a song. It's like, fuck it, let's name it the title of the song. Uh, and here's my notes about the song, okay? Because I love the song. It's not a, I love the last part of this record, but uh, I wouldn't put this on there. But this song is important because I feel like I need to mention anyone who has paid attention to this song is that sometimes in Muse songs, Matt Bellamy likes to be opera. Sometimes in Muse songs, Matt Bellamy does like art just for art's sake, just to be fucking weird. And sometimes in Muse songs, Matt Bellamy just wants to remind you that he does indeed fuck. Hoodoo is all three of those things. He's like, I'm going to be opera. I'm going to remind you that I have a penis and I know how to use it, but I'm going to use it in an unconventional way. And that's the best way I can use to describe the song Hoodoo by Muse as using your penis in an unconventional way. And if that isn't what Miriam Webster describes as hoodoo, there is something fucking wrong. Did, did anybody, as Noah's describing that, just think to themselves of like Matt Bellamy using his dick like Flex Seal in an unconventional way? It's like, <laughs> oh my God, this boat's about to sink. Matt Bellamy, where are you? And he just fucking lays that on the boat and just puts his dick in there and it just seals it and you can get to shore. It's like a shamwow. Yeah. <laughs> so Jeff, how do you feel about hoodoo? How do I feel about hoodoo? Hoodoo is doo-doo. <laughs> <laughs> Noah almost spat out his drink. <laughs> it's, it's coming it's, out. <laughs> I just had to slurp it out of my hand. Something so simple. I didn't know that would get you. It's an unnecessary ballad that we didn't need. It's like... If you ever went to see like a shitty like high school version of Phantom of the Opera, like done poorly, like that's my description of this song. Like it would easily fit in there. Like it's oh. just not good. <laughs> it's <Shit>. unnecessary. Who's doo doo? By the way, you're welcome. Uh, Fruit Moscato through your nose, not a pleasant sensation. It's the ballad we didn't know we wanted because we didn't want it. <laughs> <laughs> oh. um, Mac, Mac, who knew? Wow. All right, so uh, the, the title, of course, now post Game of Thrones, I just keep thinking Hodor as I look at this. <laughs> Um, so I'll, I'll give two constructive things that I thought about the song. First off, I think that the song serves itself as an introduction to Knights of Sidonia. Oh yeah. And, and I, and I feel like that's its purpose here. It's like, this is actually how we wanted to start Knights of Sidonia, but then it would have been a 15 minute song and that's not going to get on the radio. <laughs> so we need to go ahead and make this its own song. Um, but I also, and, and it's funny that, you know, you guys have said this individually at different points in this album, and this is where I'm saying it. My note is, and I'm going to read it verbatim, because I feel like if I don't, it's gonna, I'm going to feel like I'm kind of posing here on what both Noah and Jeff have said. But I feel like in this song, I'm walking into a Robert Rodriguez or Quentin Tarantino <laughs> film. Uh, like, I'm the police photographer that shows up to the chapel <laughs> in Bill 2 way after everybody's already been there to photograph the crime scene and I'm two weeks on the job and I walk in and I can totally vomit. <laughs> and then, you know, like the seasoned detective hands me a handkerchief. It's like, it's okay, Rook, we all yak on the first one, you know? <laughs> like, oh. that's kind of what I thought is that the song really felt to me like a throwback 
to not just what I would feel if I was going into like Kill Bill Volume Two. Like this, this song to me was written in black and white. Like yeah, they, and and then it also kind of like kicks over a little bit to like I'm in Tombstone at the fucking Birdcage. And, you know, they're going to play a little ditty on the piano and somebody in a traveling musical troupe is going to get on stage and perform a little bit. Um, it definitely has that, you know, because when you talk about Robert Riguez, you know, I, I kind of thought like if this were, if there's Desperado three, this would be the song that would lead it off was was my was my feeling of that. I would add into that and say it's almost like Sin City uh, to a certain like it would fit in there. I uh, the. the one of the visualizations I, I swear to God I've always had about this song is that Matt Bellamy is a detective hired to investigate the, the disappearance of himself. And then he goes into a smoky nightclub in a basement and there singing on stage is himself in a red sequin dress seducing himself. And then he goes out back where he has a, a gunfight in an alleyway with, again, himself. Like that's like it's like a noir, but it's very self-obsessed. Uh, I respect it because it's him. But yeah, I feel like he. This is he's like I want to fuck myself, but well, in black and white. And and if you fuck yourself, Noah, is that masturbation? Is that incestual? I mean, where are you taking that? And the answer I have to that is, why, why are you questioning it? Why can't it be? Listen, the the future version of myself came earlier onto this program, and I didn't try to have sex with him. And now I have to live with my regret until I, in turn, go back in time and try to remember to have sex with my past self so I can let you know. Unless, then again, you, dear listener, are listening to the version of this where I answer Dave's question definitively if it is... Uh, if it is a uh, incestuous relationship, if it is masturbation, if it is incestuous, all three are none of the above definitively because I did, in fact, put out for myself. But I also don't have a high opinion of my sexual prowess. So I feel like I would ultimately, I wouldn't be disappointed, but I would be finished. And I'd be like, you know what? That's about right. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> so, Doc, I yeah. about hoodoo. Uh, after everything that's been said, <laughs> how do you follow up? With that? So um, it's it's rare, and it's pretty cool listening to you guys now. Kind of what you've been saying uh, about the song that we're all kind of on the same page on some in some way or the other, right? So I will read. <laughs> I mean, I wrote like two sentences here. That's barely, uh, but I have a lot to, to say about it. I guess uh, love the love the piano in the song. The strings exclamation point, but then I follow it up with got that nineties action movie vibes. And that's it's weird because as much as I really did not enjoy City of Delusion, like for very specific reasons musically, I enjoyed Hoodoo in spite of it. Like mm -hmm. their song those two songs are very related in a lot of ways, just like how they feel, but for some reason Hoodoo just hit a little differently. And I'd say that uh, I, I thought I wouldn't enjoy it, but like I just got like a desperado feel to it. Like it felt like there's a, a gunfight, you know, in a bar in the middle of the city somewhere, you know, like it's a good jam. I mean, it's I don't know if I'd necessarily say it's doo doo, but uh, <laughs> I definitely <laughs> it's definitely got a good it's got good imagery to it. And uh, 
the best Muse songs give you that imagery. So I really, I did enjoy it quite a bit. I, I, I think it ultimately, I think when you, when you take a step back and you look at everything from a production <clears throat> standpoint, that City of Delusion and Hoodoo both serve as just to build you up to Knights of Sindonia because of that very desert Rodriguez guitar um, and give you that isolate. I guess the whole song about hoodoo feels isolated, right? And it's got one of my favorite other lyrics uh, on the uh, on the record. It's so, I'm sorry, I'm paraphrasing, but it's like I, I had a reoccurring nightmare that I missed, uh, that I was so loved that I missed the opportunity to be a better man. And it's almost like there's that introspectiveness before it's about to get really real. Oh, can I for a second? Hold, hold, I hate to cut yeah. you off. God damn, you got that line from that song? That's the last line. Hey, I hear like almost nothing from any of these songs, I swear to God. <laughs> I try so hard to hear what this dude's fucking saying. Yeah, oh, there's yeah. Unless we know it, yeah. we wouldn't know it, right? And I'm like, yeah. fuck. I mean, I know you've listened to the song a lot. These, yeah. these songs a lot. So obviously, you know the, the lyrics. But fuck, man. You got that? Yeah. God bless your heart. That's the end of the song, man. That's it. That's, that's heavy shit that I would love to have heard, and I just did not catch any of it. It's this. It's this in, incredibly retrospective, uh, introspective, like almost like it's the. It's. I feel like Soldier's poem is the lowest emotional point on the record, but Hoodoo, just because of what happens right after it is like the loneliest point on the record. Like at the end of Hoodoo, after that ding, 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 with a piano climb down. Uh, yeah, it's incredibly, it's, it's incredibly singular to a certain extent because it's also, again, with Soldier's Poem, they're the barest, most stripped down songs on the record. And then, and then gentlemen, now it is time because it is the last official track on the album. It is Knights of Sindonia. We've already, at this point in my notes, I was going to tell the story of hearing the song when I was nude for the first time, sitting in Herb <laughs> Jones. But now there have been a lot of people who have been naked and wet in Herb Jones' bedroom who have had a religious experience in their life. This is true. But uh, it was my first time, you know, and I'll, I'll never forget it. And to this reason, and I'd love to talk more about this song uh, in detail as we go back and forth on it. But to that point, it's one of the few times that every time I hear it, I think of how I felt when I first heard it. And to that, I cannot undisputably argue that it is my favorite song on the record. It is one of my favorite Muse songs. Just because if you want to talk about Muse songs that build and do shit for shit purpose, but it pays off at the end. I mean, fucking the riff. The break it down with those fucking harmonies. Like and it, it's eat your heart out, Freddie Mercury kind of a harmony. Then you get like a more Led Zeppelin than Led Zeppelin ever did riff. And then oh, just just because you're almost there, you're almost there. We're gonna fucking put them both together, and that's that's it. Just like God. Oh my God. But Jeff Jafar, how do you feel about Knights of Sindonia? I fucking love this song, <laughs> start to finish. I love this song. Uh, you know, it, it starts off slow with the horses and like a light riff, and then it changes dramatically throughout the song. But those last two minutes, when it's just balls to the walls, like it's so fucking good. Like you can't deny that. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. Doc. Um, 
I have a real hard time writing anything about this song. Um, I I don't know how many times I've listened to this song in my adult life. Uh, <clears throat> I, you know, so after hearing that story, uh, it, it, it proved two things actually to you fine gentlemen and to the audience that uh, Noah and I and Dave actually we've joked over the years that uh, you know like the two of them are like the two halves of my brain, right? Mm-hmm. So you telling me that it was actually me who introduced <laughs> you to that song, whereas I thought it was yeah, you. That's fucking fantastic. That our brains have actually become one at some stage <laughs> in the last 15 years. <laughs> and our memories are now intertwined to the point where I can't tell the fucking difference between the two. Um, like the Kama Sutra. <laughs> Not okay, but <laughs> but now you tell that story with no in a towel. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. fucking weird. But now that you tell the story, I recognize it had to have been a lime wire bear share situation because I there's no way I bought that album right. So I it was on the X. This, like I I know I know it, 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 it was on the X about that because here's how, no way I know it was there's on no the X. I know I know it was because they fucking the DJ said who it was after that song which was the only reason i knew it was muse and i remember like i couldn't stop thinking about that song for days and then like a week later i was gonna take a bunch of drugs and go to the planetarium and i stopped (laughs) and bought that cd (laughs) and i listened to it on the way to the planetarium then took a bunch of drugs in the parking lot of the planetarium while listening to that cd again and then went to the planetarium have no memory of the planetarium i remember being there and staring at the um the submarine in the harbor at the carnegie science center but yeah i know i remember i remember real okay well i'm glad that that religious experience is ingrained in your soul for the rest of your life Mm-hmm. Uh, so <clears throat> the song itself, uh, is like probably the perfect, the picture, perfect vision of like a culmination of an album of like, of, a, of, of, of a vision. Like it, it's, this is the album. That song is the album. Um, at about what, four minutes, 15 seconds or so, the song becomes something else entirely. It transforms. It hits so hard unnecessarily. But it does because it can. It does because it loves you. It does because it provides for you. It gives you the comfort in the, at, at, at night. It gives you, it pays your goddamn rent. It pays your mortgage. It does everything for you because that song is everything. That song is possibly a perfect song. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. There's no point where I'm like, no, you know, no the song's fucking amazing. And that, I stand on that shit. The song is fucking amazing. And I will feel that way till the day I die. Well put, sir. Well put, Mac. Wow, what to what to say that hasn't already been said? You know, as as we get to the three eighteen mark of that song, you know, it goes from foreplay to just like the greatest fuck you're ever going to have. You know, when when we get into no one's gonna take me alive, just fucking. I mean. Again, they, Muse just has a way of giving you things that you didn't know you needed. And I know I've said that a couple of times about some of these songs here, but this is this is a great example. Um, as Jones has said, this is easily the song off this album that I've heard the most. You know, it's it's you know when you guys hear a song, you first hear it and you're like, "Fuck!" Like who can think of this? 
who who hears this in their mind, right? But then it, it becomes so big that you hear it all the time. You're like, ah, oh, this song's on again. But then because you you just heard it so much, but then like it keeps playing and you go back to it just being like, God fucking damn it, I love this so much. <laughs> like that's that's my experience with this song over time. Um, is that and and I'll say this too. So, you know, for those of you listening to this podcast, and if you've been listening for a little while, uh, you know, myself, Noah, Doc, Jafar, uh, we have made many uh, short films and and productions over the years uh, under our Dangerwood Pictures banner. And I'll, I'll throw a little Dangerwood plug out there for everyone. Um, we've made some award-winning content. We've made some what-the-fuck-were-we-thinking content. Mm-hmm. But, like, the thing that I love about listening to this podcast as we're doing it, guys, is, you know, it reminds me of how we all came together, you know, 15 years ago and started creating visual content because we all see things when we hear things. We all get expired visually. And and as we've kind of talked about this album and there's certain points where it reminds me of this. I feel like I'm playing a video game. I feel like this is a Robert Rodriguez movie. And we all have come to different points in this album where we felt that way. You know, it just kind of reminds me of, of, of how this album inspires that. It inspires a lot of feelings beyond just how you feel listening to it. It inspires your imagination. And this song, I think, is a perfect you know, cap to that experience when you listen to this album, is however you take it, whichever songs you take from it you like, whichever songs you take from it you're not so fond of, if you like the entire production, or if you just like the singles, it inspires you and makes you feel certain ways about things that a lot of stuff doesn't. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I'll put on the radio or I'll listen to on Spotify or Pandora or Sirius Radio, whatever I'm listening to, that doesn't make me feel that way. But like, and especially this song, um, the last time that I I gave my review of this, when I, before we recorded, I I listened to the album on YouTube. And of course they put the, you know, the songs that have music videos, they'll play and then everything else is just lyric video or whatever. And, you know, I, I can't remember the last time I saw this music video for this, but again, it just lends to such a visual experience about what this song is telling you and where it's going. And, you know, it just it just kind of fits that Western vibe and that that cowboy vibe and that let's get fucking ready to go vibe. And I, I just love this song. Uh, you know what? Here's the thing. I've listened to this entire record so many times, and of course, I think with the rest of you guys, I've heard the song from this record more than any other song on this uh, this album. I've never seen the video for this. Um, I have intentionally gone out of my way as much as I can because of that. And I, I listen. I'm not a spiritual man, but the closest thing I've ever had to a religious experience has probably been being wet and naked in a towel in Herb Jones' bedroom or the birth of my daughter. Uh, thankfully, they didn't both occur at the same time, or I don't know if I'd be here. <laughs> but uh, I, I intentionally go out of my way to try to avoid overexposure as I get older to the things that I like, because I don't want to associate it with a, a different memory or anything of that nature. But when you hear this song as a standalone song, it's completely fucking kick ass, right? Like it just it goes and it takes no prisoners. When it breaks into the harmony, it's a different beast entirely. And few songs, especially of our generation, 
when in which you don't get a lot of epic rock songs. Fucking take no prisoners like that. But to but to take it into the context of the whole album, which we've listened to today, that they save this song for the end. Like you go through, yeah, like they waited, like they had the patience to not lead off with this thing and then let you be disappointed that nothing else hits that way. They waited until you were fucking wore out. And they're like, oh, by the way, <laughs> Knights of Sindonia, taken. And, uh, you know, the, the disassociative muse lyrics I love. Uh, I'll show you a god who falls asleep on the job. Like that, like that line in the middle of the song when he's just when he's just tearing everything down uh, is just, oh, I, I know apparently I'm the only one who hears the fucking lyrics of muse in here, which is interesting. I, 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 I caught the on the job. That's all I've ever heard. Uh, unlikely veins through the course of history, I'll show you a god who slow- falls asleep on the job. It's like the idea, it's like, uh-huh. oh, here's all the terrible things that ever happened, and I'll show you a god that doesn't exist. But we can become our own. You know, it's a weird thing. I, apparently, I'm going to want to listen to the music lyrics, which is interesting because in the Fike and Hybrid Theory album, I mentioned that I don't ever listen to the lyrics from albums. Uh, and I had to listen to Hybrid Theory because they, the way they mix Chester. So high right. on so many so that stuff that you have to pay attention to every word he says, which I surmised, if you want to go back to our archives, it was my problem with Lincoln Park was not that I didn't like him. It's that I had had to listen to him and maybe I wasn't quite ready to hear what he had to say. But apparently I'm the only one hearing what the fuck Matt Bellamy has to say. It's not for a lack of trying. Like it's, it's <laughs> I, I, I'm not even fucking joking with you. Like I have a real, maybe it's my headphones. Maybe it's my ears. Maybe it's my no, fucking there's brain. Just a, there's a lot going on. So in much. Every song. Oh, there's so much. Yeah. But and I do want to mention something uh, real quick. I, I thought was really cool. I wanted to mention it uh, a second ago about this song is that having never heard the album before, but knowing that this song was at some point in the album. I didn't even know it was at the end. I pulled up on Spotify, didn't want to look at the track listing, I just hit play. And every song that came up, I'd look at the, you know, the name and just write my thoughts. When this song came on, like I didn't expect it. It wasn't like, there was no, like, oh, here we go, nice Sidonia's cut. No, it was like the, the I'm like, oh, sweet Jesus, it's here. It's fucking here. <laughs> I sat up in my couch, I'm like, let's fucking feel this. And it was such a cool, it was a cool experience to have that knowing and then it was over and i just went wait that's the fucking end <laughs> oh no shit like, that was the last that was a lot that was really cool to realize that was the last track uh that was really cool but i'm um, sorry go on no well, i mean you know, yeah this, Mac, this, the, the, this the, and you know one of the things i like about this song is that they they basically said too that this song is supposed to be an exaggeration of itself that as they as they wrote this, they thought, "How fucking big can we go? How far out can we go? How far past ourselves can we make this and and just and 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 create the song?" And they they give it to you in this. You know, they they this was the third single re- released off of the album, which I think is really interesting because you know I think if you're, I mean, this is easily the song on the album that I think everybody kind of associates with, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it's probably the most, um, I don't want to say the most important song off the album, but you kind of get the idea of what I'm saying there. Um, when you think of this album, this is what you think of. So um, I, I, I think they accomplish what they do. And this song, I think, 
pushes Muse into what we get after. You know, we start getting into some of the other, you know, when we get into uh, some of their future albums that go beyond this. I think this really kind of sets the stage for, you know, what they're going to produce next. Let me uh, let me just tell you, Jeff, before you, you hop in and spray your venom all over this in a good way, in a good way. Uh, let me just tell you, because I, I bothered to do something I've never done before. I looked up the lyrics of the song. And for as epic as this song is, and as much as Muse tries to say in other people, there are three fucking verses to the song. Here's the lyrics to Knights of Sindonia. I was wrong, by the way, on something. I've heard it wrong all my life. It's, come ride with me through the veins of history. I'll show you how God falls asleep on the job and how can we win when fools can be kings don't waste your time or time will waste you and then the big no one's going to take me alive thing so that's all the song says that's all the song needs to say and it fucking manages to blow your face through the back of your head into the next (laughs) county by the end of it yeah i I think it's such a strong finish to an album it makes you forget about everything that came before it mm-hmm. that it's like everything else you've heard the other 10 tracks before this it's all an afterthought it was all just leading to this and that's that's the lasting impression that the song makes that the album makes and that's why the album is so important in the overall you know the legacy of muse as a band but also you know progressive rock and and when the album came out it was on you know every single top 10 list of, of every list out there, you know? Absolutely. Well put. Well, put. well that's, uh, that's the Black Holes and Revelations. There's, if you listen in the uh, U.S. or U.K. on Spotify or iTunes, they do add the song Glorious to the end. I don't want to talk about it today because that was a B-side that they just tacked on to the Japanese release. And there's a couple of those that float around on all the Muse records on Spotify and iTunes, they add the weird because Muse comes from an era where they just recorded songs and released them standalone for this or soundtracks so that and they, they just released them internationally. Um, add on to that. But one day maybe if we ever talk about Muse again and you guys can can deal with all the semen that emotionally comes from me during that, maybe we'll, <laughs> you know, we'll like, how do you put a song after Knights of Sonia? Like, because like, they don't I, care. How do you even? And that's kind of like what I thought when I, because I listened to Glorious because we had kind of talked a little bit about it uh, in prep for this. And, you know, I just thought to myself, like, I, I, I didn't even want to listen to it. Yeah. It's like, I, I, I just don't need this. Like, it was, you, you can't follow that song. No. Again, why you put it at the end. If you put this song anywhere else in the album, the rest, whatever comes after it, it's fine. It's, I, I don't think you can have it. I don't think you even want to listen to it at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, nope. Glorious, it doesn't matter. It, it's a fine song. Like it's 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 fine. I don't I don't dislike it or anything. But like, just how do you follow that fucking song? You, you could put someone reading you the winning lottery numbers after Knights of Sindonia, and you're not as interested because it's not Knights of Sindonia, and you're and you're onto something else. So yeah, it's but it's that's. That's record companies being record companies and just trying to get like let's let's tack it on here because someone will listen to it, et cetera, et cetera. But so let's go around round robin quickly because we've talked about this album for three and a half fucking days, which I'm fine because I'm gonna <laughs> listen to it tomorrow again too. But let's uh, let's go. Let's say our least favorite song and our favorite song on this record. And I want to start with you, Doc. Oh, least favorite is fucking Soldier's Poem. Fuck that song. Um. Dude, come on. Um, 
and obviously that's the Sedonia. Like I feel like I should disqualify that, right? Because, I, let's do. Let's take that off the top. Yeah. Because how can how can you? Uh, let's just take that. It's like separate. one of the best new songs fucking ever. So let's yeah. just scrape that off the top. So that goes straight to Invincible then, because I think that surprised the shit out of me how much I enjoyed that song the second listen, and then third and fourth. So yeah, Invincible is my, my absolute favorite on this album. So put Mac Attack, favorite and least favorite, not counting nights. Uh, favorite is Supermassive Black Hole. You know, qu- uh, in parentheses, Vampire Baseball. Um, <laughs> re- regardless of its status of the of the Twilight uh, franchise, and uh, I will I will humble brag just a moment here because this is something I always like to say. I have worked with two of the three stars of Twilight, so I just have to fucking I got to find a way to corral Robert Pattinson, and I've collected the set. So. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, Supermassive Black Hole, that fucking guitar riff, uh, just, I can't get enough of it. And I'll say least favorite, I'll go with Exopolitics, you know, in spite the idea of the song being written about, you know, aliens and sci-fi and everything else, it just, it was just a very new song to me and it just didn't really stand out where I kind of hoped it would at that point. And, uh, yeah, I'll go with that. Jafar? Yeah, my, uh, least favorite is Soldier's Poem, uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, my favorite outside of nights uh, would also be Supermassive Black Hole. That song, well, that song fucks, as Noah and Mac would say. It does. It does. As I believe I said in the text message, that song fucks and then comes inside and then doesn't apologize and then babbles to you about aliens and the laws of thermodynamics. And again, doesn't apologize. <laughs> and when you wake up in the morning, it's there and it's ready for more. Yeah, you knew what you were getting into when you signed up for that. <laughs> you knew what this was. <laughs> yeah, it, it, fucked <laughs> it fucked you last night. It fucked you again in the morning, but still drove you home afterwards. Yeah, that's nice. And if you invited him for a cup of coffee, guess what's going to happen? Yeah. yeah. going to go two knuckles wide and two knuckles there, deep. There was so. probably breakfast involved. Not like eggs or anything, but like a bagel. Something with something you could, English spread, muffin. Some, you could spread something on it. An English muffin with like the squeezy jelly. Yeah. Not too fancy, but also better than a granola bar and a pat on the ass. Yeah, that was enough. That was enough. I would, I would say my least favorite is Invincible, just because I feel like it could... I I love still love the song, but it's the only thing that didn't stand out as its own person on this album to me. Its own thing. And my most favorite song outside of Nights in Studio is City of Delusion, just because it just fucking... You know, runs towards the finish, and now it's doubly my favorite song on the album. That's not Knights of Sandonia because now I got a picture of Boba Fett and Robert Rodriguez <laughs> with a big old bantha dick just dragging it around the desert of Tatooine. <laughs> you know, so you're welcome. Thank you so much for that, and thank you guys so much for joining us here as we review an album that's 16 years old, which is which is just great. <sighs> but now the question you you have for us, dear singular sweet Peruvian listener or midnight listener or our new Russian listener who's definitely not Vladimir Putin or a future listener from the People's Republic of China. See, uh, Noah, Noah, you've mentioned Rocky Four so many times that Russia had to tune in. They had, they had to do it. They uh, saying, this this they is the reason to. we lost Cold War. It you know? all makes sense. It's because uh, Polly has sex with robots, and I need to know why America allows this. But, but you've been asking yourself, you know, they've, they've announced black holes and revelations, but what's, what's after this? What could possibly go with this? They've teased this. They've teased that. But now we're prepared to tell you what our, our next couple of episodes are. Jafar, why don't you lead off and tell them what they can expect next week here on the show? Yeah, so next week we are taking it back to our childhood roots. Get out your famous 
her favorite box of cereal and strap in because we're talking about Saturday morning cartoons. Mm-hmm. What we love to watch, what we remember watching in the 80s and the 90s. And a lot of the memories that come back with those is going to be a fun chat for sure. If it didn't mm-hmm. make for terrible audio content, I would insist we all also eat our favorite cereals. Oh, oh no. but God, that'd be so bad to listen to. Just <laughs> a bunch of spoons scraping against bowls. Just <laughs> a bunch so, of milk slurping. Well, so as, as me being allergic to milk, I couldn't have cereal mm. watching Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, that's a different but experience for you. I will tease this. So everybody make sure you tune into the next week's episode so you know what I did eat. When I watch my Saturday morning cartoons, mm, that's good you, to know. You fucking tease. You fucking. Right. I, I, I don't even. I don't even want to like give you guys a little bit of a taste. I guess know? I would normally call you a cock tease, but because of the nature of Saturday morning cereals in the eighties and nineties, I might call you a chalk tease. As a oh. chocolate tease. There it is. Well played. But be, being is that after next week, the week after that puts us right firmly at the end of January and. It's also right lines up with a little little wrestling action. Mac, why don't you tell us what the listeners can expect after that? Ladies and gentlemen, it is going to be the official kickoff to WrestleMania season. And what better way to go ahead and kick off WrestleMania season than the initial round of the Royal Rumble. And uh, we're going to be talking about the 1992 Royal Rumble, the first Royal Rumble where the belt was actually on the line, ladies and gentlemen. Mm. And uh, take you all the way back to, again, our, our favorite uh, wrestlers of the 80s and 90s and, and uh, you know, who's going to come out on top and how that uh, whole episode's going to go. We don't even know. It could end up being, as most times going over Rumbles, a complete shit show by the end. So make sure you <laughs> it see which me- one. We'll see which ones of us are slurring our speeches more. <laughs> it's going to be brutal. Let me give the sweet listener a thing. The last time we played the Royal Rumble drinking game, it ended up with me crying. And, and then I peed my pants while I was asleep. So tune in for that because that's going to be fun, riveting riveting conversation the last time we did the royal rumble drinking game pre-covid everybody uh three people did not go home that night Mm-mm. they they, they 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 crashed where they landed it's because you we play for keeps we play we for do, blood that's right we don't fuck around or at least parts then after that it's the first week of february and there's a very special holiday that happens around these parts in the united states especially in our state and we're going to do a film to celebrate. Doc, why don't you tell them what movie comes up after the Royal Rumble drinking game episode? Uh, as long as my notes are correct, I do believe we're going to cover the classic comedy Groundhog Day. Um, That's right. I'm really excited about this. Uh, I haven't seen this movie in a long time, so I'll be digging that one out of the, the crypt I put it in at some point soon. <laughs> now, uh, Isaac. Rise and shine, campers, and don't forget your booties because it's cold out there today. It's, it's cold out there every day. What is this, Miami Beach? Not hardly. <laughs> well, that's what we got coming up, and February is going to be a hell of a month. We're going to have some surprises. Uh, Doc and I are no longer picking the topics. It's all up to these fucking madmen and anyone else that decides to, to drag their junk across the forehead of our show. So it's going to be a good time. <laughs> and, and, and dear listeners, uh, perhaps even you could go ahead and suggest some things that you'd be interested in hearing us Ooh. talk about. 
go ahead and reach out to us on our social media platforms on Twitter or on Facebook. Mm. Uh, go ahead and check us out on YouTube. Gentlemen, I'll let you go ahead and, uh, and rattle off the uh, fine places that our audience can find us. Mm. Well, on Facebook, on Twitter, we're nothing, nothing good. good pod. Oh, we, we can talk at the same time. That's same time. That's what, it's the same yeah. thing. But it's we faster if you do it all at once. No, no, go please, sir. <laughs> That's all I got anyway. <laughs> okay. Nothing good on Facebook and at Nothing Good Pod on Instagram. It would be the exact same thing on Twitter at Nothing Good Pod. That may have been by design. Yeah, I think it was, it was smart booking. Uh, but what else is smart booking is uh, definitely if you have an elderly parent who is sensitive to language, we recommend playing this at high volumes around them uh, all all summer and all winter long, anytime. Just I don't know why, where that came from. Uh, it's also if you get, <laughs> if you know anyone who's sympathetic to the People's Republic of China, the independently recognized nation of Taiwan, or the Democratic People uh, Republic of North Korea, the DRPK, and glorious leader, we also recommend nothing good dot podbean dot com is where you can find all kinds that's our official website no one goes there only <laughs> no no one goes but there. Send them there. <laughs> but uh that's about it guys anything else to add mm. uh no i mean with the snowstorm coming in i hope you guys are safe going to your jobs if you're actually commuting for that sort of thing uh i will be walking to work tomorrow because i'm just not going to take any chances Thankfully, I live Smart. a half a mile away from work, so it's 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 clutch. Yeah, as always, we appreciate and thank everybody for listening. You know, it's a lot mm -hmm. of fun to do this for ourselves, but we do it for you, the loving audience. So, thank you for your listening ears. Tune in next week; should be a great show. Be safe, Indeed. stay well. Yeah, thank you very much, everybody. Uh, enjoy the uh, enjoy your week. Stay safe out there. Stay diligent. You know, this uh, this virus that we're all living through certainly isn't uh, going away anytime soon. So make sure you guys all do the things you can to protect those around you and those you love. Uh, stay safe, and uh, we look forward to talking to you all next week. Nothing good. <laughs>